Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best fully functional GPS when you're out of service. Offline maps allow you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, this isn't a podcast anymore. It's now a lab. If if that if that wasn't true, then explain this to me. Why do I have this lab coat? Because you're official. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jester's, Jester's got his, his lab coat on. We now, as promised, at, we have taken as promised in previous episodes. We have taken possession of, and we didn't get an industry deal on this. Expensive. Yeah. Our very first piece of meat lab equipment. Did they even cut us a deal, Cran? They did. Oh, they cut us a deal. Yep. What percent? Five hundred off. Oh wow! Seriously? Yeah. All right, so we still got thousands sunk into this thing, <laughs> but I'm going to give them a shout because they cut us a deal from GR Electric Manufacturing Company. We have the GR 151. Do we have that and the what one do we have, Chester? That one right there that you're looking at. But the 151 or the 152? Uh. Or do we have both? I think that I think that it's both the same like machine, but the the Warner Bratzler, this mechanism here where it actually shears. Oh, that's the one fifty two. I think so, but I'm you know not one hundred percent on that. Okay, so here we're running the. What's that, Sean? <laughs> 
You sound real qualified. Yeah, right yeah, now. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Definitely you guys official. Really sound Listen, like you know what you're doing. <laughs> hey, we're running the uh, GR151 and the Warner Bratzler shear machine, exclusively distributed by Tallgrass Solutions Inc. out of Manhattan, Kansas. And what this is is when someone comes and tells you, "I shot a, I shot a buck and it was so tough, my wife, you, the dog wouldn't right." You, uh, we can now put a numeric value to, to wild game toughness. Call them out on it. Uh, Chester the Tester has been, <laughs> so he's back at full circle. Yep. Yep. That was, that was his first nickname, right? It was. So he went from Chester the Tester. Testing I mean, pickles. Molester was first, let's be honest. Well, <laughs> I got to tell you a story. <laughs> one, one quick second. Kimmy Werner's here. Kimmy, you know how tonight we were supposed to eat um, at the Timber Bar in Big Timber, but we're not going anymore? Yes. We're going to eat at my house? hmm One day, I barely knew Chester, and me and Chester driving down the road with my kids, and we're going, we were out beaver trapping, and we were going to get a bite to eat at the Timber Bar. It's called the Timber Bar, right? It's next to the Grand Hotel in Big Timber. So I, I don't know bar. exactly. What it is it's the called. Timber Bar, yeah. It's got a great neon sign. Barely knew Chester, and I'd already taken to calling them Chester the Molester. <laughs> so I was saying, well, everybody does, right? Chester, do you lo- you don't like the story? It's a funny story. I, I, it's a great story. Okay. The nickname, <laughs> really, you know. No, it's bad. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> You're lukewarm to the nickname. It's hard on yeah. his story. His mom doesn't like it. Listen, I, this is the last time I'm going to tell the story. Okay. Okay. Can I tell the story? <laughs> yeah, tell it. Fire away, Steve. I'm saying to him, well, everybody probably calls you that, right? Like, I just thought, it was no- I thought every Chester on the planet went by that name. He says, well, no, it actually never really happens. So we walk into the Timber Bar. Out comes the chef who wants to say hi. Mid-50s? Mid-50s woman? Yeah, probably. She comes out to say hi. I say... We like do our greetings. I say, oh, these are my kids. This is my friend Chester. Imagine like a nice Midwestern type looking. <laughs> but gal. in the Rocky, but in the Northern Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. She'd, just, she'd do just as well in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> I say, this is my friend Chester. And what does she say, Chester? She says, oh, Chester the molester. <laughs> Boy, Chester. <laughs> so like seconds after he told me no one calls him that, then I knew he was lying. <laughs> and he said, I've only heard that one other time, and it then was it, from a judge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, you have a legal background, ma'am? Then he became Chester the Investor when he got heavy into Bitcoin, sold his Bitcoin and became Chester the Divester. Then uh, he became Chester the Midwester, which is a favorite of mine. Um, now back to... Cheddar. Cheddar. All kinds of... Di- just now back to Chester the Tester, because he has learned how to run our wild game... It's a, our meat tenderness Cheer test. force test. He was our, also a Chester the, um, in, no, he was investor, and now he was Midwester. Uncle Chester. Chester it was investor, divester, divester Midwester, Midwester. Uncle Chesty. Oh, okay. <laughs> was Brad Leone named him. Because Brad was, I was, I was telling, I was inviting Brad to, to palpate Chester's pecs. And when he did. <laughs> This is after Chester was had spent his whole life rowing a boat. Oh he was a professional fishing guide. So he had to row that damn boat all day. And he was saying how his pecs were getting depleted after leaving that business. 
So I uh, quit so the quit the rowing and lost his pecs and uh, started a a lab here. Back to Chester the tester. Now he's back to Chester the tester. The Warner Brassler shear machine. What we're going to do, this is going to be an ongoing project. Like we already have in the lineup, we have Audad, which is universally regarded as like the toughest game meet. I'm not doing it right now. But everybody that has an Audad will tell you how tough it is. So we're going to do an Audad. I tried elk at my house. Okay. But we're going to do it again here for everybody. This to, is antelope. For everybody to listen to. We have a feral bull in the lineup. Yep, collected by one Cody Farron out of New Mexico. And listeners can just send in, uh, how should they do it? We, you know, we are just making up those email addresses. Like we got like fucked up old taxidermy at com. Yeah, we could do like. Test my meat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> at the meat eater. Someone com. better, Kate, can you take a note to tell the the. Those guys that make that email address, Brynn. <laughs> Test my meat. Okay. Send an email. We'll make sure it's... You, can we make sure this is real by the time? <laughs> there, okay. There's an email. It doesn't... It, okay. As you're listening to this, this email address exists. It's Test so- my meat. Oh, no. I feel at so the, bad for Corey. Test my meat at meteor.com. Please make it legal. Oh, no, no. Here, let's do this. It's no legally tested. What is the normal email address? <laughs> meat at, eater at, let's say meat eater. At the meat eater dot That's com. the normal thing? Yes. Okay. Let's not make a new email address. No, nah, but we gotta, we gotta help. The so subject just, line. Subject line. Subject line. Okay. In all caps, test my meat. That way, Corey will see it and he'll know to instantly forward it to Chester. Are you, are you going to be able to manage this? No. Because I can guarantee you, no. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, yeah. Okay. We'll figure out who you Not mean, during I the can... tournament season, Steve. Not during the walleye tournament, but no, you right. send an email that says, test my meat, and then you make a pitch, and Chester will weigh its scientific merit. With his backward hat on. With his backward hat on, and he'll put his goggles on and read your email, <laughs> and he will weigh the scientific merit of the meat, and he will decide whether he'll accept a sample. If he accepts the sample, <laughs> you fire it off in the mail. Chester, have we And you'll set- get your own custom reading. You'll get your own custom reading. So when people say, when you say, this meat is, this buck was so tough, in fact, it was a 5.2. Have we set a scientific sort of, have we decided what scale is tough, what scale is tender? Chester yes. knows because he read all you the have? manuals. Okay. All right, so we have there, that. I'm handing it over to Chester now. Chester, explain the machine. Sure. So um, it's a shear force test, and you basically core out, which you take a little core sample out of whatever you want to test, whether that's a peep, which we That's we'll a marshmallow doing. peep. Oh, and save that. Yeah, save that. Just do it, do it your own way. But I don't, people know what to... Explain what you mean by a peep. Yeah. Not one of your friends. No, no. This is a little east. <laughs> this is a little Easter bunny that yeah. if anybody had Easter baskets growing up, your mother would put some little yellow or purple Easter bunny marshmallows in Just, there. Yeah, he's worse. Chester's actually holding a kind I didn't know. It's sparkly wild berry peeps. <laughs> sparkly wild berry. Um, they're really, really good toasted, like a toasted marshmallow. Just a little tip for everybody. Uh, oh my! <laughs> but. 
So we're going to test the peep, and it should be pretty tender on this tenderness scale, which is an international scale. Yeah, and we're doing we're doing some simple things that everyone is very familiar with just to set to help set the scale. Correct. Yeah. And it's in kilograms. So, let's say we test out this peep and it ends up being around a 2. That is tender. Let's say we tested this peep and it ended up being around a 4. That is acceptable. Let's say we tested it out and it ended up being a 6. That'd be one tough peep. Here's my here's a question about the scale because you're I feel like you're doing there, there's two things happening with with how you're treating the scale. On one hand, it's like you're 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 assigning an objective number, sure, to meet tenderness, mm-hmm. um, which is which I applaud. But then to, for them to say that a four, a, a two, a three is acceptable, then you've entered into subjectivity. So they're taking an objective scale, but interpreting it subjectively. Sure. Which is annoying to me. Well, in grading meat, I think they do that. Like if they're testing a Wagyu beefsteak and they get a four, they're like, you know, that's, that's accepted. Like we can still send this out. Gotcha. Right? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Um, like the market will, it's like the market will accept it. The market will accept it. Yeah, so that feels somewhat, that feels, that's, that feels somewhat objective. It's subjective, right? but it's also relative. Like, and I think that's what's important about it is that it's relative to other carcasses of the same species. So you're testing a bunch of beef next to each other and, and sort of grading it against one another. So right. my it's fear, your lot. <clears throat> what's that? It's your lot. So if you have, yeah. Yeah, four cattle that come in on the same truck from right. the same place. Right. Then I could see testing one. Right. But it's still, we're dealing with individual animals here. For sure. And I so. think that's what we're, I mean, I we'll see. But I think we're going to see like drastic differences between same species, individual animals. But maybe right. wrong. And the peep know. isn't technically a species. No, so the peep, like, I think we're going to have a fairly <laughs> universal reading, regardless of what color peep we actually <laughs> run yeah. in this. Chess is going to quarter the peep out. Okay, uh, now explain one, <laughs> explain one more thing. You, here's a part that I didn't recall, because I watched people do this in a lab with, a, with a, a breed. They were breeding Wagyu cattle with limousine cattle. Yep. And they were testing the carcass attributes. I remember them cutting the little plugs out. Correct. But I forgot that you then go and uh, stick the plug in the machine. I thought it was measuring the force required to cut out a plug, but the plug is just preparing the sample. Correct. Yep. Um, Do you want me to get into that? Walk us. Yeah. I think you should walk us through doing a peep before we get into some, what we're going to do today, because we're trying to milk this out because it was so expensive. Yeah. If we if this machine was like a hundred bucks, we'd probably use it this today and never talk about it again. Right. Because it was so damn expensive. We gotta do this. We're gonna milk it out and slowly test stuff so that later when we look at the machine, we won't be like, oh, that was stupid. Yeah. Right. So we're just gonna get rolling today. Yeah. So let's this this little peep doesn't have muscle fibers. Correct. Um if he did we want to make sure we're taking a, as accurate of core samples as we can so they're all very uniform and similar. But it does not matter that much with this guy. For this meat, for example, you want to be taking 
the core a core sample in parallel with the grain. So when you're you stick it in the machine, you're shearing it perpendicular across the grains. Gotcha. So you get an even test. So So you're cut you the, the machine is like yeah, it'd be like if you're slicing a roast up and your knife's passing through, you're probably when you slice a roast up, your knife is passing through cross grain. Correct. Yeah, I'm with you. Yep. And a lot of the times when you bite into it, you potentially be biting cross grain. So that's why they have it like that. Um, another key thing to factor in when we're doing these tests is you have to cook the meat evenly. Let's say we had an elk sitting there and we had an antelope sitting there. You want to make sure we're the having a showdown between them. You want to make sure the center of that meat is cooked the same or else you're not going to have an accurate test. And then you have to let it sit in the fridge overnight and kind of let things settle and harden up and then take your core samples. You'll get a better core sample that way. So, so when you when you folks out there start sending uh, meat to Chester, um, we will be do we'll do this exact procedure. If you accept the sample, you'll like cook yep. it to a certain temperature, let it chill overnight, right? Yep. And it'll be it'll line up with the same treatment every piece of meat. Correct. Yep. Got it. Any sign any science stuff you want to make sure you're doing everything the same way or else you're going to get really varying des- results, you know. That's what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's cross grain on a peep? That's uh, what he's saying. He he's we're just just to set the just to give people a cuz everybody has had a peep. So, we can't do that, but we're just going to give people a for instance, a peep is mm-hmm. blank. Mm-hmm. And then we can march from there and and start testing once we have like a we're just trying to establish a baseline with people off a universally recognized substance. So I'm going to cut cut this peep up here. And it's like Easter coming up. Yeah. I'm not going to use the core sample. Oh, can I interrupt you real quick? I'm in a bit of hot water. Uh, Wisconsin kind of screwed me because what? they made youth turkey season on Easter. I didn't check. to. I, I just like mm. made the trip for my kids, like with minus their mom. And then it was pointed out to me. That it was Easter. Easter. Yep, hot water. (laughs) (laughs) I kidding. A lot of peeps to smooth that one over. (laughs) Pointed out is very diplomatic. Get a very nice Easter basket. Pointed out is the most diplomatic way I've heard it put. (laughs) It's doing a lot of work. Well, should we go for it? Yep. I'm not going to use the core sample for this, just because I don't want to. I don't want to get it all gooey. All shit it up, yeah. To do the meat. So we'll just use the knife here. Jester's cutting the... Man, if you thought people were miffed that we did a whole thing on flint napping without being able to see what we were talking about, (laughs) that same crowd is going to be miffed about this. Chester's (laughs) slicing up the peep. It's stuck to his glove. It's stuck to his lab coat. Good thing he's got his goggles on. Yeah, this is getting more and more scientific by the minute. <laughs> he's cutting a core. Can, oh, I, can, you, can I see the core? Can you hand me the core? I want to describe the core to people. Yeah. This thing is sticky. So I'm afraid it's going to affect gonna the happen, results. Yep. It is going to just give us a bad reading. Mm-hmm. Hey, I was told. If it doesn't work, do we'll it. clean it up with some rubbing alcohol. That's a lab type thing. Well, we, I, I was looking for it. And then we'll uh, go on to the white bread. Okay. 
So the the core that he's Chester has looks like a shotgun choke. It's got the textured end, textured like a shotgun choke, but it's just a cylinder, a sharp cylinder. And I think that's about a centimeter, right? Wouldn't you say, Cal? Cuts a centimeter plug. Yeah. Is, did you turn the machine on? It's on. It's ready to roll. There's this emergency shutoff button, so be ready. <laughs> it's a big red button. If, okay, yeah. if, if things go to hell, if things go to hell, Chester's going to punch that emergency shutoff button. <laughs> Chester, I don't want to panic you, but your knife is kind of in the way of that emergency shutoff, so we could end up with another accident. Yeah, you're gonna, we just discussed workers' comp a, mem- a moment ago. You're, you're already going to be in some dire situation, and then go to hit that, and then gash your hand further yeah. on your knife. Okay, so... It's loaded up. Chester will now hit. Wow, that is a real serious Chester emergency shutoff button. Breath. Okay, hit the. Uh, Do we want to take a few peep core sample tests so we get a, a mean here? No, no, no. I think just yeah, let's just hit it. See, now that was the most scientific thing I've heard all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, he's going to throw the switch. He threw the switch. It's shearing. Boy, this thing runs at a hell of a pace. If you blinked. You'd be able to wait and then still see it. <laughs> <laughs> so that is 0.56 kilograms wow. okay. of so, force. Right. So if people know a peep, if, you wanna, if you're trying to describe <laughs> to someone, let's say you're trying to describe <laughs> to an alien who's never had a peep, and you'd say to him, yeah, it's real, uh, well, let me just tell you, it's 0.56. <laughs> Chester, how scientific is it to eat the sample af- as you're doing the test? I've what? done that. Okay. <laughs> what? Because that's, that's what he's doing. As long as the test is over. <laughs> Come on, exactly. Phil. Have you ever been in a lab? That's what you do when you're done testing a material. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, so peep is 0.56. Chester, do you think we should move on to the bread or just go right into a pronghorn? Oh, I want to see white bread. I think we try bread. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're going to throw some bread Maybe in. the bread will clean some of that peep out of there. Totally. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's going to do. Hey, just a quick... So scientific. A, well, no, here's a quick tip for people. I've been doing this lately, and it works phenomenally well. You know when you're, grind, when you're grinding a uh, burger? Mm-hmm. You get done, and there's always that, right? Then you go to clean it, and you always have that handful that you then, like, the next morning, whatever, make a patty. You, know, you don't know what to do with it, right? Because it came out in the end. Uh, or like stuffing sausage into casings. You always get that little bit of bulk. Stick some old bread in there. Just fire it down the hole, and it pushes out what's left. And then when you clean it, you just got some old bread in there instead of having like more ground meat you got to deal with. Yep. What do you think about that? What like do you that. put in there to get that the old bread out? But what's that? So what do you put in there to get the old bread out? Piece of meat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pork chop. <laughs> then you got yourself a meatloaf working. A <laughs> couple more eggs and some... <laughs> yeah, people, people don't realize it, but that's where the sandwich came from. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how the sandwich was, that's how the sandwich was invented. Oh, you need your core? Yep, thank you. All right. Okay, we'll Chester's now bread. taking a core sample out of a hunk of Joe Blow... Now, when I said get bread, I was picturing... I was oh, thinking, could, like, l- white bread. Well, like yeah, but the bread. problem is, I just realized you can't get a core off it. Mm. You have to get it pre-sliced. You have to go to the Wonder Bread factory, and right before and they be slice like, don't it... don't do it! Be like, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it hard to picture Maybe that sliced stuff bread sliced? I feel it's like... Almost like it's, it's like... It's like made slice. Yeah. I yeah, think they would exactly. you would it's shut like the a line down. Tunes cartoon yeah. where it goes <laughs> yeah. and spits out just individual slices. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Somebody I can, I can promise the you the people at the Wonder Bread <laughs> factory would be like, they would hit the emergency stop button <laughs> if you said, don't slice it. Push it out, push it out with this 
<laughs> See, you know what? It's There's cow. It's like you predicted the problem now. that we were about to have. Now we guys, for the record, we have bread stuck in our core yeah. sample. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cutter. It's this isn't made for bread. Weird. <laughs> when you're um when you guys are making uh sausage and you're running it through the stuffer, mm-hmm. uh how do you get the final meat out of the tube? Plastic wrap. What do you mean? You take like a three foot long piece of, of saran. saran wrap and you put it down and the auger will pull it and it pushes it through, pushes the rest of it through like on a grinder or in the stuffer, it creates a little ball and it pushes it out. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know how to better describe this yeah. to you. Um, <laughs> I do something that I wouldn't do in front of anybody. Okay, where are I we going? Hold it up, I take it, <laughs> I blow it through. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what Chester's trying to do with that. So, but, but explain what you're talking about. So we take a piece of like, like your box of plastic wrap you have at home. Wait, we're talking using a stuffer. Uh-huh, exactly. Okay. So we uncrank it, you know, back up to the top, yep. and then we put a ball of plastic wrap. Like you just pull plastic wrap off the, you know, off the dispenser. And yeah. ours are pretty big, you know, so it's like maybe 24 inches wide. So it's twice as wide as a home piece of plastic wrap. Yeah. And we'll pull like a three feet chunk, slice it off and throw it, kind of ball it up and throw it in the stuffer. And when you crank it down, because it's plastic wrap, it changes its shape and it will extrude that last bit of of meat. Yes. And we do it with the grinder too. So we'll, when you're grinding meat. Why are you nodding knowingly? Because we covered this like three years ago. I must not have understood then either. (laughs) (laughs) Are you serious? Yes, 100%. The sausage suffers, even if it's empty? I mean, if it's empty, there's nothing to get out of it, Steve. No, because the tube. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, because there's no, air the ch- pressure behind it. The chamber is empty. Yeah, yeah, there, the oh. air pressure behind it's going to push it out. That's so. a hot tip right there. Hot tip. Yeah. On your grinder, you got to be... Yeah, you got to be careful. Got to be on your game. Yeah. Because you'll get little tiny chunks of plastic. Well, so with the grinder, we, we pull the front and pull the blade. Yeah. So we pull the blade off and then put it, put the thing back on. And then run plastic wrap through it, and the auger grabs it and pushes the rest of that meat out. So, and same deal, like mostly it's air pushing. Exactly, it's just air pushing it out. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're gonna check back in with Chester the tester. We now have a very oh, you got a core sample out un- of the loaf of bread. A very uh, not great looking core sample. <laughs> oh no, what are you talking about? It's like a piece of it's Looks like a piece of like a goose dropping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, d- doesn't squishing it and making it more dense like that that'll affect the results? Oh man. Right? Well, shit. Start over. Old naysay and Phil down there. (laughs) It's like, here comes Phil with his logic. Yep. Listen, I got C's in my science class. I passed. Oh, 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 oh. 0.27. Ooh, even less less than a peep. If you went and bought a really low quality. One dollar. One dollar loaf of. At Walmart. Okay, so this is a loaf of, what what would they call that? They're not calling it French. Are they calling it a French bread? Okay. Bought a $1 loaf of French bread at Walmart. It is twice as tender as a peep. Now, I just want to point out that we're testing the interior. We're testing the bread guts. We're not not testing the the exterior, which, by the way, is generally what people associate with the toughness of bread. It's the crust of the bread, not the inside. I've never heard anybody talk about the bread being tough. You don't hear people talk about artisan bread, how it's hard to chew and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. Like a Sheboygan hard roll? The... <laughs> oh, That's man. exactly what I was thinking of. Yep. Uh, <laughs> a very regionally specific piece of bread. That's what I had in mind. So the scene the scene is now set, and we're ready to just concentrate now strictly on game meat for the, re- for the rest of the life of this machine. 
a, just so you know, you've all had a, a loaf of French bread before. A loaf of French bread comes in at 0.27 toughness. A peep comes in at 0.56 or 8, I think. I toughness. So Something we're like. not documenting these numbers. Uh, we'll, we'll do oh, it in you know what? Okay. We Can you will... scratch that down? Can someone scratch that yeah. down? Phil, what are you doing down there? Uh, <laughs> Clearly nothing. Looking for a pen. <laughs> I, I, I got it. For, yeah, for... I feel like it should be like in a document. Now, yeah, exactly. We need I'll, a spreadsheet. Yeah, I'll make one. Because you know what? Whoever can send, like, should we, whoever sends in the Chester, the toughest piece of meat wins a prize. Oh, boy. And you can't. And don't toughest. get creative and send in like your homemade jerky, by the way. Like, don't be no, that No, because we can't do, we can't yeah, do jerky exactly. that way. You got to send in whole muscle roasts. Yeah. yeah. Or, or we should do like whoever sends in like a specific animal, like the most tender whitetail. We'll give a prize for the most tender meat that comes in and a prize for the toughest meat that comes in. What about a trophy? Are we opposed to that? It's going to be raised on a farm. <laughs> is my bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we just got, it's got to be the honesty system, you know, because you got to submit, you got to pitch Chester on your meat when you say test my meat. Good picture of the animal would be nice. It would be interesting yeah. to test farm-raised game animal versus truly wild ones at some point. Yeah, you, for yeah. sure. You hear that, I mean, Chester? Just, uh, you know, like go out to Uncle Jeff's and whack Bambi in the alfalfa field. Yeah. Versus. You're trying to do that to win the prize? Well, I think just all these comparisons, right? Once we build up our data, this is going to be oh, right. Yeah. I think that's a great one. It's yeah, like be like alfalfa, a- whitetail, home range of probably like a mile. Born in May, killed in October, yeah. lived on Uncle Jeff's alfalfa <laughs> field. Yeah, probably never was more than a hundred yards away from yeah, from the, the swather, the oh. edge. <laughs> yeah, what's he score? Yeah, bluing teal that hatches in July gets shot in September. That'd be a great yeah. one to do. Mm-hmm. I can't. We got. I really am looking forward to doing some duck. Yeah. Right, where, where are we at now, Chess? You ready to pull a core? You guys ready for the official first test here? We've been ready. Yeah. Yes. What What is it? So this is antelope. Steve gave it to me yep. yesterday. How uh, old is it? Pronghorn. It was a medium buck. Did you run it for five miles? Hop out of the truck and know what hit him. Did not know what hit him. He was eating. And me and my boy bushwhacked him from a haystack. Had no idea it was coming. Zero. And didn't take a step. That's good context. 300, I can tell you this too, 309 yards. And we got to make sure. 309 yards, never took a step, didn't know what was coming. A a medium-sized buck, so definitely a few years old. Uh, opening day. His life was gone before the recoil settled on your shoulder. Yep. Opening day. What was the day? Like, what's the, do you know the date? August. Whatever the hell Montana's antelope opener was last year. No, no, it was October. Opening of general firearm. Oh, gotcha. Not general. Opening of, opening day of antelope firearm. And we're going to put down there that it was drizzling. And we got to be clear, this is a pronghorn, which is a goat antelope, not like a true antelope, because we're probably going to test some of those at the some American point, pronghorn. Oh, yeah, the antelope. American pronghorn, yeah. commonly known and still known by all Western regulations, I believe, as the antelope. Yeah. yeah. Antelope capra americana. All right. There you go. Thank you, Cal. So that's this that's is, the kind of science I've been waiting for all mm-hmm. morning. This is a loin. So what we want to do... Is typically, you know, or all, stand your all, mic, Chester. All the time. I know I said it's a lab, but it's also still a podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
So the the muscle grain is going to be running long wise long ways here on this. So we're going to cut out one inch little cuts here, and then we'll take a core sample running parallel with the grain. Got it. And we'll do six of them, and we're going to test all six. And who's going <clears> to <throat> be writing these down? Sean has it. Sean's yep. the. Uh, and then we'll come recorder. up with the average, and that's how tender this guy will be. Are you measuring your one inch cut? Uh. Nope, just... Jesus Chester, Christ. I'm going to say that we'll do three. Do three? Yeah. Okay. Because when I was watching those people do the, the Wagyu limousine cow crossbreed, they were doing three. Okay. Okay, he's sliced. Ooh, can I have a good slice of that, Chester? Yeah, I don't know how... <laughs> no, just give me a little thin slice. I just, I just, while she cut that, it's making me hungry. You can eat the core sample. Did you put any salt on there yet? I, I have a little... Put a little salt. Uh oh, we have much. salt on it. We're gonna talk about that. That changes. <laughs> I'll that score, changes that. I'll score that right is. now for you, Chester. Delicious. Wait, there is salt on it. <laughs> no salt. No salt. Okay, so what we got? Because we're only doing three, we only need to make one of these cuts. But this muscle grain is running kind of this way. So I'm gonna take core samples out of this. Chunk Bing, here. bam, and boom. As they say the in the science biz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is it normal to be able to wipe your hands on your lab coat? Probably. 100%. That's what it's there for. Jesse, you need a little poker to get your cores well, out. Well, he he has a lollipop stick. That seems no, very scientific. No, I bet they make a legit poker that's like true to, <laughs> that's true to diameter. Yeah. So it shoves it out real nicey-nice. Hey, this is an important question. What cut of meat is this? Backstrap. Otherwise known as loin. Yep. Specifically short loins. Did you know when I was a kid, we didn't, like, uh, we had, we called it, we called the back straps, there was inside and outside tenderloins was the nomenclature mm. in, in at my, when I was a kid in Michigan. Right. That's very confusing. The inside tenderloins, and the and then people would call the, the loins the tenderloins. We know they're they the outside tenderloins. They still have that issue with... Um, with pork loin, like people consistently referring to it, like as outside tenderloin, like that's how you end up with the tenderloin sandwich. That's actually made out of a pork loin as oh, opposed to a tenderloin. Yeah. In my opinion, that's the only way to eat a tenderloin. Like I'd rather have it smashed and fried. Right. Like there's oh, on, just, like, on like a pork chop, John. Yeah. The, I yeah. mean, there's no, no real flavor there. There's not uh -oh. enough fat. I mean, if I'm eating a pig, I want fat. Yeah. There can be fat, but. Unfortunately, that's so, well. That's a whole separate lab-based podcast when we discuss the fat content levels of various and assorted. That'll be our next machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. Start saving up now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we were doing this house of oddities to to secure some land access, but now we're just going to use it to secure <laughs> some random lab, lab equipment. Okay, yeah. yeah. Chester is loading in a piece of American pronghorn backstrap. Off a medium-sized buck. Bushwhacked from a haystack. Never knew what hit him. 2.7, I'm guessing. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, that is tender. Wow. wow. That is some tender-ass meat. 1.33? Wow. Mark it what? down as 1.33. My elk was 2.5? Yeah. Okay. 1.33? Dang. No. 1.33. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 1.33? That's the first test. Yeah. First ever test, 1.33. And we're doing six tests of this? Is that we're going to do said? three 
off this, and you're supposed to do six, but I watch them do three. We're going to do three and average, and then we'll log it. And and uh, Sean had an interesting thing that he if, if if a good scientific experiment about toughness. Go ahead about the geese. Oh yeah, it'd be great to have banded birds. If someone would send in like a you know a confirmed banded bird, I can't imagine there'd be anything more tough than like a 15 year old Canada goose, mm-hmm. and you know it's 15 years old. That, that's true. Mm-hmm. And then we could run that through there. And yeah, you might cool. win. You might win the trophy. <laughs> Test number two. Or a t-shirt, two. whatever the hell. Yeah. Oh, test number two. Here it goes. What? So that two was the one. That was, that was the one that was towards the outside. Yeah. Okay, um, let, me, let me explain oh. that to people. So, you know when you cook a chunk of meat, right? The inside's more red or pink. The outside's more cooked. When Chester ran his cores, he had one core veer over into the cooked end of the roast, so to speak. And that piece scored a what? 2, 2.26. 2.26. Whereas the very rare middle scored a... 1.33, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, I mean, do they give you like a method to how you're supposed to cook this? Yeah. Gotcha. When I watched them doing it in the lab, they were doing it on these little electric grills with these real fancy probes, these temperature mm. probes in them. Real specific about it. Gotcha. And they had lab coats. So <laughs> should we not like vac bag this thing and sous vide it? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That like that'd be the most consistent so, way to tell. But if mm. that's not what they push, but then but you I don't care what temperature prevent. Because they don't say to jam an octopus well, tentacle in there, which, the I'm jam, which I'm damn sure <laughs> going to do. What what they say is it's a temperature thing. If you can get the middle part of that meat, like if it were an antelope or an elk, the same. And then let's say like this one I wrapped, seared the outside, wrapped it in tin foil, let it rest, threw it in the fridge overnight. Um, but if I were doing the elk, I would have got the exact same temperature. I think sous vide is the way to go. Got to be the yep. way to go on this because we could put a thermocouple through the bag into the meat and actually check the core temperature during cooking. Yeah, and then you can run a whole bunch of samples when they start pouring in. So now we got to get that. We got to get test my meat. Serious vacuum sealer, a thermocouple. <laughs> thermocouple. What I'm talking about for that is like a. We got a thousand dollar investment. Okay, here it goes. Here it goes. One point four seven. So that was again more of the middle there. One point four seven. The average. Sean, one second. We'll do one more. This was the outside. More of the outside. He can't stop. I'd be curious why if you put your finger in that hole and turn that on. Uh. You can try. What Jerry. it would take to shear? What what it would take to shear your finger? Well, let's see, oh. Steve. How tough is Chester's finger? <laughs> Not that tough. And then we just test each other's fingers to see if there's any variation. Okay, he's bagging it up, and he's loading number four in. He's addicted, man. Chester he can't stop, dude. Nope. Chester, are we supposed His to? His wife's take gonna these? be like, "This Warner Braxler's coming between us." <laughs> <laughs> Who's this Warner Braxler? Why are you spending so much time with him? Ooh. That was like a little bit towards the outside again. 1.86, Sean. Okay, so the official score 
of a medium buck American pronghorn, not run around ragged, not hauled around in someone's truck for three weeks while he shows everybody how big it is. (laughs) 1.73. Is 1.73. That's pretty dang tender. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Cal's like, I want the most tender part of my meat gone, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cal's holding up a chunk of it with a hole cut through it. How is it? Needs salt. Very tender. Yeah, very, but yeah. And and just so people know. Empirically very tender. What was its score again? 1.73 was the average. Okay, and when, and I'll back, 1.73 is a low score, would be regarded commercially as tender, and when you eat it, you would say to someone, my God, that's tender. Yep. That's a- nice. Agreed. Was it tender? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you guys both got your mouths full. <laughs> yep. so, when's, good part uh, about this. so when's the Warner Braxler part one? Meat Eater at TheMeatEater.com. Is that the web, Is that the general email? Meat Eater at TheMeatEater.com. Send in your pitch. Test Sub- to, you got your pitch to Chester. Subject line. Subject line, all caps, test my meat. You say like what you got, why you think it's interesting, why you think it's a contender for most tender or toughest meat out there, and we will determine that we'll we'll report back with what the prize is. Steve, should we ask them to send that kind of relative information we're looking for, hunting conditions, general thought on age of the animal size, yes. that kind of stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if it's accepted, we might have more questions. And if it's accepted, we might even have to do Phil's favorite thing. Squad cast you in to witness the testing of your meat. Ooh. Test my meat. <laughs> With Chester the tester. Oh, it's going in That's his great. Instagram bio now. <laughs> Chester the tester? Oh, yeah. yeah. See, oh, man, it'd be hard for me to get rid of. See, now I'm afraid Chester's going to wind up with a show on like A&E or something called Test My Meat. (laughs) Chester, just imagine (laughs) which scientific journals we're going to be able to publish this data in down the road. I know. You're doing, Chester, we're going to move on to other subjects right now, but I want to close this segment out by saying that you're probably doing um, science that no one's done before. (laughs) (laughs) No one has, when this is said and done, we'll have tested a wider array of game meats from around the world. And that no one, no one's ever, there's no way anybody's ever done this. I better read a few more books about this. Yeah, I can almost guarantee. <laughs> yep. Or I can almost any guarantee books. that. The, I don't know that you're going to find any books about this. None of the hey, other hey, Sheer I, Force I, blades hey, Sean, had to my defense, residue on them while they were doing the test. No, to we, my we defense, I actually did some. Some research on this. Did you? You did yeah. some reading. Is there anywhere right. we can get right. Chester an unpaid internship somewhere that does this? You know what we will do no. for him? It's well, critical that it be unpaid. That way it doesn't sully his opinion of what it. We will, I don't want to do that. That sounds like too complicated. <laughs> but what we will do is we'll get his uh, lab coat embroidered with okay. Chester the Tester. That's, that's as close. Yeah. Those are basically parallels. So. <laughs> and a big dragon on the back just because. <laughs> uh, the hat we has need, to stay, We too. need... You need to come up with your own formula, though, just to ensure that you're doing everything the exact same. Oh, for sure. And then your own note-taking as well. The The reason why I we're just doing one piece, but I would imagine, because we already did this, let's say we get an Elkin or, or that, um, what is that, wild beef that you got in mm-hmm. New Mexico? Yeah. While I'm caught. I'm going to cook it the same way as I did this. Yeah, keep it consistent. And So it's all consistent. 
And, you kind of uh, got a Matt Damon groove with that. Uh, somehow you look like Matt Damon now. Oh, and Goodwill Hunting? I don't know what show. With his backward hat and goggles? Yeah. He's going to start fighting Matt Damon. townies. Do I have that? <laughs> <a, laughs> Yeah, I think the sous vide is the best way to get it consistent. Yeah. Listen, now we got a bunch of armchair, uh, <laughs> I'm just armchair saying. lab people. Chester, do your thing, buddy. Yeah, Sean, who's doing the <laughs> test over here? Yeah, yeah, all right. All right. But <laughs> God forbid. We're going to move on. But I got one. La- I, I know I had one. I got another last thing to add. <laughs> here's why sous vide might. Here's why they might be right. Because when we when we jam an octopus tentacle in there, right. You could also put that in the sous vide for at whatever temp. Yeah, you can do it all at the exact same temp. And then just snake the octopus tentacle in there and pull it until it's tight. And then. But then again, like octopus, the way we would cook it, or the way like Kimmy would cook it, or Kevin, they tenderize the heck out of it before you'd eat it. So would I, would I beat the heck out of it like Kimmy does on, on rocks before I. I no, test it in I, here, I or idea. I got an idea. Sean will make a separate document. Here's how we do it. He's gonna make a separate doc. It's a separate research. It's gonna be it's, that document is gonna be called Octopus Various Ways. Mm. Put one right out of the ocean. Have Kimmy beat one with rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Boil the piss out of one, right? And it'll be like a. Like it, that's a whole different publication. Yeah, this. But <laughs> I, I, think, publication. I think that's that's like a lifetime's worth of work. Yep. And I, I think you can skip that. No, because every you octopus can, you get eight out. chances. You can do. Last I heard. <laughs> <laughs> you can do uh, a little bit of research. Come up with the the mean temperature and duration of cook for octopus. Mm-hmm. So you're hitting right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be plenty yeah and you can't just jam the tentacle in there because then you're testing surface tension as well mm-hmm. oh. don't follow plot thickens <laughs> by tightening it so you like take that. your saran wrap. oh jamming it in there you don't want to jam it in yeah because well the the outside of the octopus has a membrane on it that's yeah, substantially no, but, but more we're tough. gonna we're gonna for this publication called um octopus, octopus various ways. ways octopus various ways <laughs> Eight ways to cook an octopus. Yeah, I think we should peel the outer skin out okay. and then have Kimmy come out and she'll have to count how many times she hit it with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> and just describe the general attributes of said rock. Do, right. we, do we cut the tentacles off and then we start doing the different things with a single octopus? Mm-hmm. Okay. One octopus. Just checking. Eight ways. Got it. This thing's going to be too much fun. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Thank you, Chester. You bet. We will get that embroidered for you, buddy. Thank you. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? 
It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. All right, everybody, moving on. Uh, a couple of announcements. So, Outdoor Kids in an Inside World, the book, we got a pre-order special. We have... Kind of hard to explain. This is, we'll get, this gets into a little bit of how the sausage is made. When we did the book, Brody, we, we worked on this whole thing. Those this this giant. Uh, what do you call when you add something on the end of a book? I forgot. Uh, Addendum. An append, no, not an appendix. Addendum. We had a giant addendum, uh, which was like recommendations, instructions, insights about how to, I mean, everything about kids in the outdoors, right? Like, like a great set of clothing, like great all purpose 
clothing that'll, if you have it for your kid, it'll cover you for like 90% of outdoor excursions with your kids. Stuff about kids' gear, sleeping bags, all kinds of resources, like different states about how to get your kid, like what you need to do to for, for light fishing license purposes, how to get like a great little set starter fishing kit. We built this whole thing and we're going to jam it into the end of the book. And I think that it will, I don't want to say that because it'll kind of ruin the incentive. Future versions of the book might include this, but not now. It's not in the hardcover, which launches on May 3rd. But if you pre-order Outdoor Kids in an Inside World prior to the launch date on May 3rd, so you got one more week to do this, you will receive the additional 50-page digital free resource guide. Not digital free. It's digital. The 50-page digital resource guide for free, chock full of additional recommendations and insights, it'll be emailed straight to you. So you're gonna, you're, you're, we're just going to like give you the thing in digital form because it's not going into the book because it's just too much info. But it's like meticulously crafted info. Head to themediator.com to find the announcement which guides you to the page where you can enter your purchase information and register for free for the guide to then be emailed to you. Another announcement, First Light's Omen Rainwear is, is, is available. This is, I'm going to keep this brief because we have a lot of stuff to cover. I was a big fan of uh, First Light's Foundry line. I thought that was like one of the greatest things that ever happened to hunting duds. Um, the Omen Rainwear is unbelievable. Unbelievable rainwear. I spent a lot of time at this fall. I took it on a doll sheep hunt, spent a week trudging around in the rain and wet snow in uh, Prince Wales Island, used it checking traps off my snowmobile in the winter. Very durable and just like impeccably designed. I, I, it's, it's, I'm not kidding when I say it, it's the best rainwear I've ever had on my body. The Omen Rainwear line out now. Cal, okay, tell them about uh, NWTF Turkey Trek. Surely, Stephen. Uh, so... National Wild Turkey Federation, if you're a spring-loving turkey hunter, you got a lot to thank these folks for. The volunteers, the biologists, the whole organization. And coming soon, we're going to be updating everybody on our, you know, turkey season. And we'd like you to do the same by using the hashtag TurkeyTrek and becoming a member of National Wild Turkey Federation. If you do, if you go sign up, you're going to be eligible for some sweet prizes, but that's not why you should do it. If you do it for that, you're just kind of a freeloader. So tell me again how, how they do how they sign up. Uh, you sign up by becoming a yeah you 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 become eligible for the prizes by signing up for a one year membership at National Wild Turkey Federation. Gotcha. Gotcha, yep. gotcha. And uh, all of us who are going to be out in the turkey woods this this very near spring are going to be talking about this and directing folks where to go during this like campaign time, yep. uh, which will be the end of April. Yeah, and if you love to hunt wild turkeys, you owe a uh, debt of gratitude to the National Wild Turkey Federation, who... Like, I don't want to downplay contributions of state agencies and all kinds of other individuals, but the driving, this is a fair state. Would you say this is a fair statement? Well, oftentimes driving federal and state force, work hand in hand, too. Yeah. 
They're a cloacal the, the, kiss away from being the same right. on a lot of these efforts. The dr- NWTF in large measure drove the recovery of the American turkey. Fair statement. With many partners. Fair but statement. Funding, yeah. expertise. If you love to, if you like to hunt turkeys, you owe a debt of gratitude to National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, COVID was hard on them because they traditionally do a lot of events. They raise a lot of money doing events. And when events got shut down, it was hard on NWTF. It was kind of hard on their model. So all the support you can give there. Uh, I spend a month hunting turkeys every year or more and, uh, you know, on and off, right? But a phenomenal organization. Become a member. They put money on the ground. Uh, great, great organization. The the head of NWTF, Becky Humphreys, has been on the show once or twice. Twice? She's great. Lend a hand. All right, another announcement. Kevin? Kevin yeah, Gillespie. Present. Yeah. Lab coat on. Yes, very serious. Tell everybody about Sabretooth. So Sabretooth is a, is a new show that we're making. Um, Chester's got his Sabretooth sticker on his on his computer. It's looks sweet. good. That was quick. Yeah, it was quick. We like to turn them around quick here, Steve. I just got mine. I didn't even decide what to do with mine yet. It's going on your computer. I already picked it out. Um, Sabretooth is our new show. The idea behind Sabretooth has been... It's actually, today's a perfect day for this, because for years, I have listened to chef friends, to just laymen, to hunters, tell me that the value of wild protein, of wild animals, is below that of farm-raised. They're not as good. You know, quote-unquote, oh, they're just not so good. Like, if you want really great meat, you know, it's prime beef, it's stuff like that. And I've just for years disagreed and said, no, I don't think that's true. I think it's just that you guys don't understand what to do with it. I don't think you understand the possibilities. And I reference back years, like, you know, professional chefs in Europe, people like Paul Bocuse, the person who literally has had three Michelin stars longer than anyone in the world, will pull farm-raised duck from his menu and put wild ducks on during the season because Mm -hmm. he thinks they're better. And so my argument has been that it's all in the eyes of the beholder, and more importantly, it's in the eyes of the people doing it. And so we decided to create this show, Sabretooth, really to kind of fill out what feels like the obligation of meat eater, which is to help people see this entire experience of hunting and angling from the start to the finish. And that doesn't mean that it ends when the animal's down or when the, you know, when the fish is in the boat, it's that next part is oftentimes for a lot of people, the hardest. And so Sabretooth is a show designed around hunting and and fishing, but then we take it one step further and we really show you just how far, um, just how far it can be taken, you know, culinarily. In the first episode, we're hunting hogs in my home state, or feral hogs in my home state of Georgia, and then we bring them back to my restaurant gun show, and we put together a 13-course tasting menu using feral hogs, largemouth bass, white-tailed deer. Got some largemouth, yeah. Yeah, man. Got a, we have a really big pond on this exact same property, and so we caught a ton of largemouth. Like I said, we got whitetail. Um, we got some really cool stuff, and we just really throw down in this first episode. And then subsequent episodes kind of change around, you know. And the next one, uh, Jesse Griffith and I are going to be working with um, uh, Scimitar Horned Oryx in Texas with Daniel Pruitt. Did you know that Cal and I got to cuddle with? Did you get to cuddle with it? I didn't want to butt in. There, you and Corinne, Corinne and did I did some cuddling. Though. Cuddled. A baby scimitar horned orcs. What? A calf. Bamberger Ranch Preserve in Texas. Right. They are doing a captive breeding program to supplement a reintroduction effort in Chad. Yep. In Africa, in the Sahara of yep. the scimitar horned orcs. A female had just dropped a calf. Cow. A cow had just dropped a calf. And man, uh, 
they don't want you to pick that thing up. <laughs> they had to pull up to it. Like picture you pull up right alongside it with a truck and then open the door. So you've created like where you normally stand to like try to take a whiz on the side of the road when no one's seeing what you're doing. <laughs> right. And and snag the little calf up into the truck that way. So basically the same method you would use to abduct a child. Sure. If you had a snatch em up van. Yeah, take you just a whiz. pull up on the side, pop the door open. <laughs> Take a whiz, yeah. do an abduction. Chester, yeah. can you verify that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, what same, kind of candy do you use to lure same, in? Same technology. So, uh, and then we got we took it into the back of the pickup, cuddled it. Um, when you say cuddled, I think its heart was racing. <laughs> but I read it as a cuddle. I, I read it as a cuddle. Okay. I think he read it as this is a very a one-sided death. experience. I think he read it. The, the calf. It was a, it was a bull calf. I think he read it as um, a near-death experience. Yeah, for sure. And Corinne kind of got, like, after... She got second snuggle. Oh, was it was interesting, though, because I didn't, like, the... Didn't have the crazy eyes. No. Of, like, ultra fear and panic. I, I think, think if you went and picked the... it up a week later, it might look a little different. But it was a little <laughs> yeah. out of it. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cute. I mean, so, actually... I'm glad you brought that up because in that second episode, we really are kind of going down that path of explaining. We chose Scimitar Horned Oryx on purpose because there is a really interesting story about the fact that there are a lot of people who are like, they have no business being in Texas. And that that's probably true. But at this point, there's a really huge opportunity for reintroducing something into its native range that would otherwise be extinct. Yeah. So. We get we got into that. It was kind of like there or nowhere, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, so for folks who are fans did of Meat you, Eater. Did you guys run a Warner Bratzler on that sucker? We haven't, but I'm going to okay. bring some in. That Great. one's going to be on my list because I think that's one of the most tender that I've ever had. Well, we'll find out. We're we? going to see. <laughs> wow. We're going to see if it's better than American antelope. Did you save some backstrap? Tons. I Well, <laughs> not tons, but we have some, yeah. Enough for those little cores. Oh, for sure. Great. Yeah, I probably got a one-ounce piece that we can core out. So Perfect. Since that seems to be all we need for it. Perfect. But yeah, so for folks who are fans of our, you know, our meat eater show who are who are in it to watch hunting, you still get that in Sabretooth, but then we just take it and we kind of go a different direction with it and really explore how great this stuff is. And my goal, if, it, if we do this show right, people are going to get a lot more excited about learning how to be better cooks and to... Uh, focus on what they can do with these animals once they have them. You were going to do us another favor and, and uh, clear up some things we've argued about a handful of times about brining. Oh, okay. What we do you want to know? Into this? Yeah, let's do it, man. Well, I had a thing. I can't remember who I was fighting with. You. No, no. You just said to me, <laughs> we were discussing mountain goats, and you said, don't tell me that brining doesn't work. And I said, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just that it does something that I think people don't understand what it's actually doing. Okay. So you take a chunk of, uh, okay, it's St. Paddy's Day. Okay. St. Paddy's Day. Are we going to go corned beef? Just brined. I mean, that's okay. Let's use corned beef because something very different happens with corned beef. Tell me more. Okay. All right. Turn it red. Let's let's start this from the very beginning. So with brining. Brining is, uh, for everybody, I'm sure you all know, it's the idea of creating a water and salt-based solution that you're going to put some sort of meat in with the overall goal, right, of making something that's juicier. Is that correct? Is that what people would generally think to do it for? I think that people would say that it's more tender and juicier. All right. So there is, it is both of those things technically, but it does it in a way that's sort of somewhat misleading. So here's what happens. Like most of muscle fiber is made up of something called myofibril. Myofibril um, is 
what allows us to store water inside meat. So an, an animal itself has a basic salinity level of about 7%. No kidding. Like naturally. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And fish and meat have almost identical salinity levels, believe it or not. Um, when we introduce a brine, we're attempting to increase that level in order to do two things. One is to create an osmotic reaction where the fibers, the myofibril actually holds or encapsulates moisture, in this case, water. The other is to tenderize it. And the tenderization actually takes place because the salt disrupts the natural chemical bonds of the protein. And so they can't do their normal tightening up thing the way that they would normally. And so it appears hmm. more tender to you. I don't think it actually, if we ran it in this, I don't think it will actually be more tender, but it will appear and seem more tender while you're eating it. You got that, Sean? That's the third Let's publication. See. We're going to try it. We're going to see. I actually, I don't know. If that publication is going to be called, uh, what's I, actually up with Brian right, and something? I don't know that that test, <laughs> honestly, Steve, I don't know if anybody ever has tested empirically to see if it is more tender, but it is acknowledged scientifically that it will seem more tender because the the muscle fibers can't fight back with the salt concentration. I cannot wait to take a hunk of deer meat, throw half of it in a brine, half of it not, and then have Chester goggle up and run them buggers through there. All right. So, but here's where, here's where the train comes off the tracks. Okay. Is that salt does all those things that I just said. It causes that osmotic reaction because there's a in there's an imbalance of the natural salinity of the meat to the salt water concentration. And so what happens is that it triggers the meat to sort of expel its moisture mm -hmm. and then to bring it back in at a new a new salinity level because what wants to happen cellularly is that it wants the outside and the inside to be the same. And so that's how you get the water into it. And the myofibril basically open up and they hold just water. And that's the key point to this is that what you're tasting in the extra juiciness is literally just water. And so that's why when you brine something and you put a bunch of stuff in it to try to make the brine taste better, you only taste it on the outside because that stuff can't penetrate the yeah, cellular I'm wall. Yeah, I'm with you. I've, I've, I've yeah. had that explained. Yeah. And I think you and I discussed this about when you see brine recipes. Right. And they're like, and add, you know, a half bay leaf. Yeah. And don't do like, that. Are you like, really? <laughs> right. Really? Right. Don't do that. You'd be better off to create some sort of seasoning mix on yeah, the outside. That's what you were saying. Like, right. if you want it to have like those attributes, put them on it. But yeah. Put them on it. Right. Put you, them on it. Don't, honestly, don't trust that it's going to soak up some right. like residue on the outside when right. you can just apply it at the ratio you like. Right. Salt and sugar are really the only two things that are of any value inside of brine. Salt, mm. sugar, water. And you really don't need to make it any more complicated than that. Um, salt, NaCl. Um, oh, can, can, you, can, you, uh, can I back you up on yeah. one of the things you mentioned? You might, uh, uh, we can maybe even look this up. You say an animal is, has a salinity level. Yeah. Do you know any salinity, like, like a Campbell's chicken noodle soup? Do you know what that is? I'm just curious like what, like what they're talking about when they say that. What, how, what the volume of salinity in processed food is? Yeah, like what'd you say yeah. an animal is running around on the hoof? About seven percent is what they believe. Okay. You know, seven percent parts per million kind of thing. So I got you. And so, so anyhow, so we got this brine, and there's been a lot of studies on this. You know, Cooks Illustrated published a brine recipe that ends up being about a fifteen percent salinity, mm -hmm. and they said that their test proved that that was the best. The University of Georgia, which has one of the best meat science schools in the country and actually has literally an expert on brining, her published 
recommendation is that it should be about half of that, about 7.8%. They have the a brining expert yeah, down there. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Believe it or not. UGA, go dogs. Um, so anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> how about them dogs? I'd love to have that yeah, job, we got man. a salt brining expert. How about them dogs? Yeah. That'd be such a better job to explain to people. Yeah. When they're like, what do you do? Well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you a uh, fan of corned beef, are you? Yeah. <laughs> so then, all right, let's flash forward to corned beef. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this process with the salt just keeps going. But at a tipping point, it starts to do the exact opposite thing. So salt, once you reach a salt concentration or a salinity level, really north of 15%, in my opinion. Some people say it's north of 20. I've seen numbers as high as 28% from a brine solution. That what will end up happening is that you, you will dry that some bitch out. Correct. So what'll end up happening is that the exact opposite will take place. The salt, chemically, when it breaks apart, Na and Cl, so you have sodium and, and chlorine, so or chloride. So those two things can bond to the they can bond to the chemical elements of the meat itself, and more importantly, the water in the meat. And so what they end up doing is that they then break the cellular structure of the meat itself and draw the water back out of it. And so that's how with corned beef, the corning, you've actually dried that meat out. It is not as juicy. There is less moisture inside the muscle fiber than there would have been if that concentration of salt was lower. A great way to witness that, uh, dry brining fish. Correct. So my boy this winter caught a big trout through the ice and he wanted to smoke it. And we made up a salt sugar, salt brown sugar. And I had him pack it in there i'm paraphrasing but when he opened the fridge the next day and opened it up he said something to the effect of holy shit because th- that <laughs> it had turned to liquid yeah and i was correct. like that's all the that's all the liquid that was in your fish right and he ended it's up with something totally saturated and, and turned all that salt and sugar right. into a and then if you took slurry. that salt level higher that's how now you're into the world of like gravlax and mm-hmm. Nova and stuff like that, where you've actually pulled moisture out. Yep. And so then that goes into the world of preservatives. And like, why is salt a preservative? Because salt concentration at a certain level will actually pull the water out of bacteria and it will kill the bacteria. Oh. So it basically will huh. starve the bacteria of the necessary water that it needs and the bacteria will die because of it. That's what's happening. Yeah. I knew it was happening, but I didn't know that that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And it's interesting that people knew something was going on for thousands of years, but maybe not quite what. Right. And then, you know, people I'm sure will go, but wait, but you have a lot of salt in other. So it's not all bacteria. Things like lactic, lactic bacteria, like what you expect in sauerkraut, for example, like fermented foods. um, They're not affected by losing that moisture content. They can still stay alive. And those are bacteria that are good for us. So that's how you can select for the one, the helpful. Exactly. So the ones that, the ones that are harmful to us need a certain water content and they can be killed by salt. Kevin, with you explaining all this stuff, I now understand why you're such a good cook. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say, you now understand why you got that lab coat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My lab coat's real. (laughs) Oh, I did a, a, a goose brine this year for, you know, trying to make corned beef. And right. it was by far and away the most simple brine I've ever used and, and the best right. by far. And it just came out like perfect beef. Like right. it was Canada, Canada geese that Sean and I shot in North Dakota. And I ate three goose breasts in a week, you know, <laughs> proving my, my theory. And, and then I was 
like, okay, I know I'm going to get a bunch of geese in December. Right. And then I never did. And I'm freaking heartbroken. And so. it's, you know, people, this is like a miss piece of misinformation. Um, cause people talk about preservatives and buying food without preservatives, you know, and they think that when you go buy a can of organic tomatoes, that means they don't have preservatives. Like they still have it. The preservative is salt or it's sugar or it's both of those things. And so the idea that they somehow are lacking preservatives is, is completely false. They just aren't using modern, you know, modern food production uses a blend of a lot of different ones that attack very specific bacterial growth. So the reason this is in there is that addresses this bacteria. And so that's why you might see a laundry list of them because they're going for longest shelf life possible, obviously. And a lot of bacteria is anaerobic. So sealing it up doesn't make any difference. And sometimes, in fact, it makes it worse. What does a sugar do? So the sugar, because of its chemical compound, so it does a couple things. So the sugar in it, um, sugar is also a liquefier. So it does the same thing that salt does. It will pull moisture out and those cells will try to achieve that same balance. The real reason you put sugar in a brine is to affect its overall flavor. Like it just makes it taste better, but it also does accomplish some of that osmotic reaction. You also will increase surface caramelization and a handful of other things. But, um, at the end of the day, most scientists will tell you that the main reason that we put them in there is because we think they taste better at the end of the day. Like we're doing a lot of this for our personal, as Steve was talking about with the Werner Bratzler, like, you know, and they set the, you know, we set, okay, this is, this is what it's, is, is acceptably tender. And you're like, that's not scientific. That's just our opinion. Well, this also goes from science into opinion at some point where we think in our opinion that it's better this way. And it's the same as the scientists will argue with you that it isn't juicier or it doesn't increase, like there's no more juices in the meat. That's just water. And we would say, yeah, but the extra water like conveys the extra salt and seasoning and everything else. And it tastes better. Like at the end of the day, we just think it tastes better. So. Yeah, well, it's like those, uh, you know, fancy chef types that are like, oh, you have to clarify your stock now. Right. And I'm right. like, no, yeah, <laughs> I want the clouds and the stuff in there. It tastes better. But the, yeah, but the clarifying stock, I think was just like, it's, it is cosmetic, right? Oh, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. So your consommés are clear and not cloudy. All right. Well, that one, yeah. we're, that's in a whole other... We're going to have to save that we'll one for We'll save that one for later. You know, we got Sean's duck report. We'll have uh, uh, Kevin's salt Kevin's report. consommé <laughs> report. <laughs> Love it. Kevin's consommé conclusions. Kevin's salt report. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. 
Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's dawning. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Uh, watch this transition. Uh, you know how the Warner uh, Bratzler sheer machine is a machine? Sure. So is your phone. <laughs> <laughs> and on your what? phone and no on your phone way. if you live in Wyoming you can now download a new mobile app that tracks roadkill it's more complicated than that Wyoming just joined uh, the 29 others it, it's so surprising to me that so that surprising yeah there are now 30 states where it's not where it is not a criminal act to eat an animal that a car hit in front of you Interesting. Roadkill. Eating roadkill. We grew up, I mean, not that I would say all the time, but like I would say most years at some point, we claimed some portion of Michigan. You claimed some portion of a deer. You had to call the police and tell them. You could bring it home and the cops would come out and give you a permit, whatever. It was just a thing you could do. Some guy in front of you clips the deer in the head and keep it. Uh, for a long time, you weren't allowed to do that in Montana. And I always wanted to go to court. I wanted to do like a civil disobedience thing. And go to court and be like, yes, your honor, um, I ate a piece of a deer that someone's car ran over. 
Like, guilty. <laughs> Throw the book at guilty, me. Guilty, right? Just to see what he'd end up saying. But then they made it legal. Wyoming just did the same thing. So now 30 states that will allow people to collect roadkill for food in certain circumstances. It's, it warrants pointing out here that in Alaska, it's long been a thing. But not only that, they have a waiting list in Alaska. You can get on a list. What? Yeah. Fairbanks, Anchorage, you get on a list. Someone hits a moose, go down the list, start calling phone numbers. Because hundreds of pounds yeah, of Yeah, that's food. great. I like that. I actually ate roadkill moose in Alaska. Did you? I stayed with a family who was on the list, and they got a whole hindquarter. It was big. Yeah, and think about the moose, too. It's like they're so big, that even if you clock, let, let's say you clock the back half of it, there's still 200 pounds of it mm-hmm. laying in the front half yeah. of it, yeah. you know? Uh, but Wyoming has this thing now, so you can download a mobile app. It allows you to claim roadkill, but then also it collects the data to help highway officials and biologists decide where to put signs that warn of animal crossings on roads. And it could even have, who knows, some kind of long-term implications for um, wildlife crossings. State wildlife and highway officials rolled out the app, which they're saying possibly the first of its kind in the U.S., which I, re- I read to mean they don't know of any others, but didn't spend that much time looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably safe to say the first of its kind. They're they just, just didn't want to overstep. They're just it. They yeah. didn't want to overstep. Yeah. They're being modest. Possibly the first of its kind in the U.S. This winter, when they joined the 30 or so states that allow people to collect roadkill for food. So it's a Department of Transportation app. You can quickly claim accidentally killed deer, elk, moose, wild bison, and wild turkey after documenting the animal and reviewing the rules for collecting roadkill to eat. Another thing is there's some rules around it. Like they don't want you out in the dark along certain highways. They don't want you out in the dark on construction zones, right? So there's some, they kind of walk you through it. A gripe I have with Montana's roadkill law. Once you touch everything, you got to take everything. Oh, okay. Guts and all. Oh. You can't gourmet butcher on the side of the road, <laughs> which is like the normal thing. Yeah. Right, right, right. If, if some guy in front of you hit a deer in the head, you might just strip out the back straps. You, you, can't, you can't gut it. The whole so damn Steve, what's, thing. So, Steve, what's the law if somebody hit a buck, you, you take the whole thing, the whole animal. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. Unfortunately, what happens like if you very... want to get you can't get it taxidermy though. Sure, if you want, you can. could you? Uh, yeah. it, it doesn't. No, it doesn't you... come across you having like a a tag issue. It's not yours. Like well, that's not a poaching you, concern. You claim the animal, and then uh, Highway Patrol or Montana Fish and Game uh, validates that for you, right? Oh. In Montana, that's how it works. I, I wish he was here to explain this. I had a friend that had been watching in this in Montana was watching a big white tail on a trail camera. And they found it dead. Here's how the story went. They found it dead, but it's like 50 yards off the road. Okay. He's like, obviously got hit by a car. Yeah. Dragged itself into the woods and died. He wanted the antlers. Called and couldn't get it sorted out and the state took it away. So does the animal still He's have like, to be whole, by the he was like, well, like, But what about the whole roadkill thing? Right. That's what I'm saying. It, it Is was there... too far gone. He's like, I don't know. It, if you're going to do like a necropsy on a dried up carcass you found out in the woods uh, and tell me that it's whatever, but we don't know that that's what happened to it. So it isn't the distance from the road. It was the time from death. It just wasn't fresh. Yeah. 
It so, is funny that like in November peak deer rut in Montana, I mean, you see a lot of decapitated roadkill yeah, in sure. Montana. Like, yeah, sure. Oh yeah. I mean, you see, see it, in, see it in Georgia as well, you know, like you go down the road and you're like, oh, that must've been a buck. Doesn't have a head anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. One time I was hunting with my buddy, Julian, and I had already like tagged out. I can't remember what it was. I was just sleeping on the couch and he left in the dark to go deer hunting, but then got back in the dark. I should tell the story because it was... <laughs> Never mind. Well, we'd all been drinking. So, <laughs> uh... I, what I was going to tell is the story of an individual. That wasn't his name. His, his oh name was God. definitely not Julian. I, I was screwed up about that part. But anyways, came back very quickly before it was even light out with the deer. Because mm. he right. picked up a hit one. Right. Tagged a hit one. A roadkill. And he thought, oh, that's good enough for me. Yeah. He's like, back to bed. But I can't remember his name. Oh, Chester has the app up. The Red Kill app? Yeah, Yeah, you can just like say I hit a badger. (laughs) You can? I don't know. Oh, Oh, I thought that was an option. You can line. (laughs) uh, Are there animals to select from or you just type it in? Animals. Yeah, so it says report a roadkill. Then you click on that. And there's antelope, bighorn sheep, black bear, coyote, deer, elk, grizzly bear, moose, mountain goat, mountain lion, wild bison, wild turkey, and wolf. Those are the options. I feel like if you were reporting a bison, that would already be reported by the (laughs) giant-ass car accident. It was still right there. (laughs) Yeah, and there's like a little map that pops up. I haven't found any fresh road kills I've been... Oh, have people been getting in there? Oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah, man, look at that. But passionately. So this is through the Wyoming Department of Transportation. So, like, this has the icy roads and all that. Oh, they got it all clouded up with a bunch of stuff no one cares about. But also part of the the point of the app is so that uh, people can see where there are an increased number of collisions Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. people know where to put up whatever state agency maybe it's the department of transportation i don't know or not the department of transportation whatever state agency in wyoming would put signs up on the side of the road to say like animal crossing mm-hmm. you know be careful or oh. you know so maybe, that, maybe that's you can also drop part a pin on where there's a police officer staked out checking speeds or whatever maybe that too i think there's another it's app called app. that it's called Waze. yeah <laughs> quick correction <laughs> i have to make a correction as well when you get a chance is it about what you just said? I realized that I said 7% to you when I meant to say 0.7%. Got it. And animal what, is 0. 0.7, not 7. I didn't 7. know enough about what we're talking about. but I don't it, want some like scientist calling in and being like, he's wrong. Chester's going to call you. It's 0.7, not 7%, was, is its natural it. salinity. Which is why a brine of 7% creates the, the ideal scenario. Corinne, do you want to do your own correction? Sure. Okay, Corinne's got to hit a crack. She screwed something up real bad. Yep. Big screw up. Yep. To- it, like, not yeah, totally. Yeah, huge, huge screw up. No. I uh, I thought that the South Dakota um, bounty for youth uh, trappers, the, the youth season, uh, was in its first year. So that was my bad. This, was, this will actually be the fourth year. Um, m- many folks from South Dakota wrote in about that, but a couple of folks pointed out that the reason why the bounty cap is at is is at a uh, five ninety. Yeah, we were wondering like, yeah. why can't a kid just pour the coals to it is, and make a ton of money? Yeah, they cut them off yep. at five hundred ninety bucks. Yeah, is for tax purposes. I guess you can probably go up to just under six hundred. Uh, in which case you'd be issued a uh, six hundred is like the cutoff. 
minimum for where you'd be issued a uh, 1099. And they don't want a 1099 all these little kids. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and hold on. It's not just kids. The the early part of this is Right. The first month is kids. The youth trap. Yeah. 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 That's what we're kind of covering is that they let the kids get a crack at it first. You know, the thing that, because I listen to you guys talk about it, and obviously I live there and see it. Um, Sean was all the people writing in. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote like 25 separate emails. <laughs> it's been a busy week. Yeah. You drive by plenty of skunks and raccoons on the side of the road with their tailbone and tail gone. Really? Oh, yeah. Man, you should have said, uh, oh, no. You should have said, uh, you should have said, hey, you know how we were just talking about roadkill? Well, get this. And you'd have had a transition, segue. Sean. Transition. Yeah. yeah. Well, well you guys already rolled in. A layup. It. He had a transition <laughs> layup that he missed. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a learning, learning opportunity yeah. that you found right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's the school of yeah. Sean, school. quit writing angry emails in when you could be learning on <laughs> learning how to segue. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking about uh, your your learning opportunity for public speaking last night with young uh, young Mr. James, too. That was good. Yeah, he went, he, yeah, took a real, he almost went a little overboard in the end there. I, I mean, yeah, my hat's off to him. That's, I opened up, uh, I opened up, good. uh, I, I, Jimmy, I allowed it, I invited him to do like a greeting over the dinner table. You know, and you say like, like thank you all to come. Yeah. There, there was nothing overboard about that. Oh, okay. That was just beautiful. It was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah. Poured, he poured the coals to it. <laughs> Chester, how's that? How's that chocolate covered peep treating you? <laughs> Dude, the dude's eating the evidence. That is awful. No, we didn't. We didn't decapitate that one. No core sample. It's, That's the actual I mean, bird. It's not a marshmallow. The, not the bunny with sugar on it. Is it better than the regular peep? More flavorful? Oh yeah, for sure. Mm. Purchase with the mediator Amex. But, so you know, but, it's like, but like I, but like I said. Kevin, Precisely. you toast these with the sugar on the outside. Yeah, yeah. It caramelizes it. If you like a toasted marshmallow, well, right? This is we should have run. A, we should have run. You guys, you guys take the advanced chef talk. Uh, like if there's a fellow in the room with a restaurant, then yeah. needed a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just say hypothetically. <laughs> if only we'd run a graham cracker behind that peep instead of a piece of bread, we'd been two thirds of the way to a s'mores. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kimmy Warner, what's been going on? Tell me something about yourself that I don't know yet. That you don't know yet. Um, I feel like I have been spending way too much time listening to songs about excavators. Because you have a child. Because I have a child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm sitting here trying to think of one song about an excavator. No, even earlier when I was like, oh, Chester, don't they call you the invet? I was thinking investigator because it rhymes with excavator, and I have all these excavator songs in my head. Can you give us an so example? So your, your boys Can in that era were like machinery... Earth moving equipment. Anything. Any, yeah, heavy equipment. Excav- he corrects me, and he's only two, but he'll tell me, like, no, it's a front loader. Like, <laughs> <and I'm- laughs> so, yeah. That's- so he, wa- he wants to be, if, if he could pick his career right now, it'd be uh, Earth mover. Yeah. He thinks so. And then whenever he gets a chance to, like, ride in one, he just gets so nervous that he puts both his hands in his mouth and freaks out. Like, that's how excited he gets over wow, excavators. really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, if I'm you want to crack that nut. to my neighbor. He keeps one of those parked in his backyard all the time. That would make his day. Huh. Think about that. Would he, would he, does he like any kind of machinery type stuff? Any kind of contraptions? He does. He likes forklifts. I mean, I'm just going to say all the words he's saying to me every day, but like <laughs> forklift, bobcat, front loader, Love Even big, big trucks, yeah, big trucks, car carriers, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Foreman's busting my hump, Mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Overtime. Yeah. Dude, that reminds me of OSHA. such a good... You know, we told, the, we told the Dirty Dan joke. That reminds me of another Dirty Dan joke. No, we didn't it's tell it. It's so it's good. It's bleeped out. The whole thing's bleeped out. Oh, I thought you just bleeped out the bad words. Oh, well... Well, they're all... Did you bleep yeah, the whole punchline? <laughs> no. We... We hear we hear you say rats, big beep. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's good. So I want to hear the other dirty dance. Oh, it's so good. It has to do with contractors. His experience is hanging out with some contractors. Are we gonna tell Go it? On, now? No, no, I'll tell some. <laughs> okay. Other than that, um, I'm just I, I'm happy to be here. You hung out with Kevin and filmed with Kevin. I got to hang out and cook some octopus with Kevin yesterday and. That was amazing. Subjectively tender. We haven't run it through the Warner Bratzler yet, but we feel like you it was felt tender. It was totally yeah, exactly. tender. Socially yes. tender. Yes, socially <laughs> tender. So good. <laughs> That's the name of my new album. It I'm was dropping delicious. soon. <laughs> socially tender. And uh, and you're gonna you're gonna be working on a spearfishing series. I am. I didn't know we were allowed to talk about well, that. It says, we are. Don't say too much. Okay. That's what Corinne wrote. That's yes. it. You just summed up everything we could say. <laughs> It's still totally in the works. Nothing has been filmed yet, but we got a lot of good ideas for this four-part series of spearfishing that will be on Meat Eaters YouTube. That's going to be exciting. I hope so, yeah. I think so. People like watching spearfishing stuff. It's fascinating. I mean, it's like taking someone to another planet. Like, you literally are leaving the world that you know and being able to be the eyes for people who don't get to get down there and see it. And and maybe won't. And maybe won't, yeah. So I I really like it. I think it's fascinating no matter what. But um it's been it's been really nice to see that so many people who don't even live by the ocean, how fascinating it is for them too. Yeah, for sure. Uh and then you did like a early was it was it your first duck hunt? Oh, absolutely. Yes. With Sean here. Yeah. Sean, oh, yeah. F- famous for, uh, you might know him from Sean's Duck Report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sean Weaver. Famous. <laughs> yeah, duck hunting is something, I mean, I don't, I never knew a lot about it. I just really liked the idea of going out and getting a duck or a goose. And I didn't know there's a big difference between those two, oh. but. Hmm. Where do you start up, throwing them buggers down the old Bratzler? <laughs> <laughs> no, right. <laughs> then we'll see the difference. But growing up in Hawaii, it's just um, apparently we're the only state that doesn't have duck hunting. So They don't, Sean? Yeah, Hawaii is the only state without a waterfowl season because Hawaii does get birds that migrate down, like pintails and stuff even. And they don't want to like persuade those birds to not migrate to Hawaii because it's such a... Because we're the most isolated landmass on the planet. So they're afraid that if there's pressure put on them, they'll just be like, oh, we'll find somewhere else to go. Is that going to, you're not going to like, you're not going to use that to fulfill that little tidbit right there to fulfill your contract obligations about Sean's duck report, are you? No, no, no. Because you could have milked a whole one out of that. Okay. Well, (laughs) I don't want you to now claim it. Okay. As like, check it off your list, but just a heads up. Yeah, that would have been a good one. You could have done a whole duck report. Well, and be done for the month. Or maybe whatever. I'll write an article on that. Yeah, that's great. Idea. That'd be a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting that it. So the whole Hawaii chain is a duck refuge, pretty much. I had no idea. And so it's as fascinating to me as the ocean for someone who hasn't seen the ocean because you don't 
go out and shoot a duck or a goose and eat it. And that's only things that like I read about in little, you know, fairy tale books and stuff. So the whole idea of bringing a duck home and putting it on the table just seemed literally out of this world to me. And then Cal came to visit um, when when you guys all came down to go spearfishing and he brought me some mallards and gave me very fat ones. so fat and gave me very specific instructions on how to cook it. On not to screw it up. Not to screw it up. Exactly. Cal's always trying <laughs> went, to train me. You went negative. <laughs> Cal always <laughs> is trying to tell me not to screw it up. And so, and I didn't. And it was literally one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten. And so that just elevated my infatuation with the idea of being able to get my own bird so much. Can we back up on the Hawaii thing for a minute? Is that prohibition on duck hunting so ingrained that people just don't even what's going on Are you digging around in the heat bag <laughs> no i was <laughs> people just don't even think about is it is it so ingrained that that it like like for let me give you for instance in michigan you could not hunt doves because of some goofy law but everybody around you can hunt doves so people would not a day goes by that's an exaggeration <laughs> not a month goes by someone doesn't bitch about not being able to hunt doves no it's not I wouldn't say it's the same at all and I think it's because we are so isolated that it's not like we're just looking over our shoulders and there's a state right next to us hunting I ducks you. you know it's like we're on our own we're in the middle of the ocean in the middle of nowhere and so I don't think we have that comparison I don't even think it's a thought in most people's heads like I didn't know that we were the only state that didn't have duck hunting until Sean told me that. I just knew that I've never seen somebody bring home a duck, mm, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, I was in one of the times I was in South America on, on, on a river trip down there. There's birds, like every kind of bird all over the place all the time. It's just like birds, 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 you know? Um, and the the Amerindians, like, they know what they are, but there's only certain like ones that look very grouse-like that they're interested in mm-hmm. and they have this sort of catch-all phrase for edible birds. They know them individually, but sort of the same way we'd say like game bird. Right. They have a word. Well, one day, it kind of seemed very out of place you're in the jungle. But here comes a duck that looks like, I don't know what it was, but looks like a hen mallard. Lands on the side of the river out in front of us in the jungle. And I thought for a second, I wonder if these boys, if that's sort of in their game bird on their game bird radar. Right. And as that bird landed, the bows that came out of the bottom of that boat, man. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Answer that They're on to it. Yeah. <laughs> They're on to it. Don't, don't need me to help yeah. with this one. <laughs> yeah. Very short-lived thought. You were like, I want, yeah. yep, no, yep. yep. That's one of them. So I'm going to talk about duck hunting with Sean. Yeah, so Sean gave you an invite. Okay, cool. Yeah, so basically... Well, you gave me the invite, Steve, because I started talking in Hawaii about how I always wanted to, you know, bring home a duck. And so then you invited, you introduced me to Sean. And, Sean, um, were you pissed when I did that? No, I was stoked. <laughs> I hope like, not. No, I, I love the idea of getting someone introduced to it to even see what it's about. Because for me, the knowledge goes like so advanced 
on some things that to back it up to square one of like, okay, we want the wind at our back. <laughs> like, okay, oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a duck. No, yeah, yeah, no that's the, that was a huge thing. I was like, is that a duck? He's like, nope, that's a... <laughs> yeah, that's that, a turn. That's a turn. Whatever, that's yeah. a seagull. And like, I... Like, I hands down am the most green person that Sean ever took, the biggest newbie ever. Like I I never even shot a shotgun before. I was like intimidated by it at first when he would say like start talking about the different parts of it. I had no idea what he was talking about. Um it was all it was all so new to me. It was like such it was first of all such a privilege to just like kind of come in and have someone like Sean be there to show me the ropes, but like it was just I was I was in awe of it all. Like the fact that I know they're called blinds, but we got to like build a fort in the wilderness. <laughs> that was so fucking cool. Like like mm. Sean's like, yeah, go get those, you know, dead old um tumbleweeds. I'm like, a tumbleweed. I only see that on <laughs> cartoons. Like yeah. it was all like I was giddy. I was just like, oh my gosh. And like home decor, like mm. make this a pretty little fort. And um yeah, and and I asked him a lot of questions where I just saw like his face kind of go into shock and realized that he had to really back it up with um, how fundamental we had to go to teach mm-hmm. me about duck hunting. But I loved every second of it. Yeah, that was definitely the exciting part when you would text me about me and Kimmy going duck hunting was, I mean, I didn't realize quite how basic I'd get with it. Um you know, like the night before, we're talking about hen and drakes. I'm like, okay, wait, no. So that's male, female, you yeah, know, oh, and yeah, like yeah. stuff like that, which is, it, it's fun to get to that level. It was, it was, that was the exciting part. I never to start wore with. waders before in my life. And I remember how small my boots were <laughs> and I had to pull them on and borrow your pliers every day. Yeah, we had to use like a, her boot size was for what her actual foot size would be. Yeah. Right. But not with big heavy socks on, and then she was, you know, she was wearing stocking foot, and so she had to use like a a monkey wrench to like jack the boot on. I was actually. Do you know what happened to her after that? (laughs) I sent Steve a a picture of me plucking off my toenails. All the toenails fell off. No, they're just you don't want to see my feet right now. I mean, just fell. They look like naked, hairless kittens or something. I don't even know. I sent sent Cal a video too. Yeah, she said everything. Just like I mean, like just the toenail, like whoop. There's the toenail. Yeah. Oh my god. In that video, there's Buddy's little commentary going ew, ew. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that from the boot. That is just another. I was in excruciating pain. I was just really happy to be there, so I wasn't complaining. How the heck did you handle that? Yeah, I, I had that... I had the uh, from I had I lost a few of them one time just from walking down a steep hill in ill-fitting mm. boot, like a long walk, and I could feel it. Yeah, and then and then I don't know what how it was. I don't know a month later, a couple of them came off. Yeah, that's just do that. another evolution in the. In the suffering that we the went through. absolute suffering that yeah. that hunt was. It's that. a good way to keep a kid happy. I, I took my <laughs> toenail off uh, for my nephew. That's you like that? Oh, yeah. Just couldn't. <laughs> he was like running circles around the chair. Like couldn't quite yeah. grasp it all. Yeah, when he's in his yeah. 20s, he'd be like, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I had his uncle's toenails were always coming off. <laughs> yeah, but he kept saying, ew, ew, I want to hold it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Conflicting and, emotions. 
pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up bubbly doug's place on on x and i'll look at the topography and i'll be like oh that sucker must be over in that little opening over there waypoints also and the ability to share them okay comes in handy every spring whether that's revisiting old waypoints where i've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds this app will help you find more turkeys on x hunt has a special offer for you too Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. You guys hunted a place that a lot of people don't um, regard as a big duck hunting state. And I remember what, our buddy Carl Malcolm was down there for years for work. 
and he would get into a little ducks now and then in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I remember always being surprised by that. Cause I, you know, you form these, um, everybody does it. Like you form these impressions of places. You don't think that a lot of like people, I guess where I grew up, don't think of New Mexico as having, right? Big no. Alpine, right? And mm-hmm. ski areas. You just imagine it being like a bunch of. Desert and cactus. Yeah, you think it's like sand and cactus for whatever the hell reason, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And likewise, you don't think of it as, you know, a place that Leopold was doing wetland research. And, you know, yeah. you don't think about all the riparian areas. And um, I-, I remember being shocked to learn that the mountain men would work down into New Mexico quite frequently beaver trapping. Yeah. And I'm like, how could that be true? <laughs> right. And they're ice fishing. Too. Oh, big yeah. walleye state. Well, they ice fish. Yeah, it was my decision to go there. Um, you know, it, it, and Kimmy, frankly, was supposed to be on a different hunt originally than this hunt. And my whole original idea was to get her to the Salt Lake and experience all the variety of Salt Lake. But, uh, you know, with me catching COVID and few other things going on like didn't work out scheduling wise and uh i was like you know what we can still make this work if we go to new mexico and where we went in new mexico uh was a place i'd never been which is a lot of the kind of the you know it's not the entire premise by any means of duck lore but we like to go places that are figuring it out right Mm -hmm. go figure out ducks on our own not just taking necessarily the shoe-in thing And so I was going in blind as a bat on this, but we decided, you know, on a place and we were staying in a town called Truth or Consequences. My favorite town name of all time. Yeah. They they like, uh, it was the game show, right? Yeah. Tell that story. Kind of a goofy deal. (laughs) Oh yeah. I think they should go back and change it back. Back I don't know. I I like the name now. Yeah. Tell the story. Yeah. I think we actually finally gave it. It's like credibility. Yeah. But we'll get into that. <laughs> so, yeah, truth or con- truth or consequences was uh, originally named Hot Springs, and then probably the thirtieth Hot Springs in America, probably. <laughs> yeah, and the I think the mayor back in like nineteen fifty or something changed the name to Truth or Consequences after a game show, a radio game show that he liked, and so to try to lure. No, it was like. The game show was going to go record an episode. Right. And whatever town would name themselves that. And the town voted to name themselves that. And then that game show host would go there like every year for the rest of his life. And it's just so... It's disappointing with a name that badass. Well, that's the thing, yeah. That's what Sean said when when he first picked me up. He's like, man, I thought this name was so badass. And Oh, yeah, I thought some heavy covered wagon shit went down there, man. You said, know what I mean? He's yeah. like, I thought, you know, cowboys were taken out to the desert and given, like, the chance to tell their truth, or if not, they're left there to die. And then People <laughs> cannibalizing each other. I don't know what I thought. I was like, Phew. Oh, a name yeah. like that, your yeah. mind can go wherever you want. And they're like, no, to. it's a game show. Yeah, no, it's a little lackluster. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, we, that's where we went and uh, like started Kimmy off right, like throwing her into the fire of learning how to duck hunt. You know, we we had no local contacts. We had no one there like teaching us about the area. 
we just started driving around, showing up at water and scouting ducks. And the first night we went out scouting, or the first day, I should say, the amount of ducks we found in this one spot was just staggering. I mean, one of those spots where I'm giddy with laughter. Hmm, and I'm that like, good. Mm-hmm. Were you chuckling? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, Max is going bananas with the long lens filming nonstop, just stoked. And we're like, you know, this is about as good as you can ask for it to be. And I even remarked to Kimmy, this just seems too good to be true. I'm not going to get my hopes up. Huh. No. And. Oh, I know where this is going. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the next morning we, so what we had found where we were there was, uh, there's this little island on this west side of this lake. Uh And we were kind of pulled up on this island watching these birds. And there was birds all around us out east of us towards the main big water of the lake wrapping around north of us and and settling on this west bank to our to the west of the island and um with what the wind was setting up to be we decided we were instead of setting on this island we were going to set on this west bank and that was kind of our game plan for the morning which proved to be maybe the worst decoy setup I've ever set in my life one of those ones where, like, when the sun comes up and the birds are flying and you realize, like, just how bad you screwed the pooch and you're, like, not in the spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, they like it 100 yards that way. They hate where we're sitting. And, um, but, I mean, there were so many birds that it just, like, that wasn't, like, the end-all be-all by mm-hmm. any means. And Kimmy... I don't know how far how far into the hunt were we? I mean, I think it was it was when the the sun had just come up not that long ago. It was pretty early on in the day because that day did end up being pretty slow. Like we saw a lot of birds off in the distance, but as far as any coming and landing in our decoys, it it didn't really happen. But in the morning, it did, and um, some teals flew by, and I and I just remember like the intensity like of you just being like. There it is. Kill him. And um, <laughs> and I missed. I missed the first one that flew by. And then a little while later, another one came. And I was able to to nail that one and get my, my first duck. Yeah, on her second shot at a duck ever, kills a duck. That's great. Which was just impressive, you know, because it's – I can remember my first duck took a box and a half of shells before – yeah, but you you probably like schooled up in um from spearfish and you're schooled up in how to like track and maybe I like, mean track and lead, right? Mm-hmm. I I would hope that the instinct is there. Um but I was just I was over the moon surprised and just so so ecstatic. That oh my gosh, I we was were so excited. happy. We were both like that weird moment of where you're giggling with happiness but also like on the edge of tears, you know, just cuz you're so stoked about the moment. Mhm. And uh, I think we shot three ducks that morning. Yeah, you shot so two. It was pretty slow, but we like at, at least kind of got that out of the way. It was pretty slow, and the, when the sun came up, it was directly in our face, too. Mm-hmm. So, And the east side of the lake um, was smashing ducks. There was a bunch of hunters over there. And my goodness, like the shots coming from over there. And so we were kind of in this moment of, oh, there's that local knowledge. Right, like they knew something 
Yeah. We didn't know. We saw all these birds over here, but they're shooting them up. They're banging them yeah. over there. And uh, anyway, so we picked up and get back to the to the boat ramp, and uh, Ranger is there, and he's just moving the dock, and. Max gets out of the boat to go get the truck, and it's like a long walk back to the truck, and he offers Max a ride, and Max jumps in with him to get a ride back to the truck, and on their drive back, um, he asks Max where where we hunted, and Max goes, the west side, wait, no, the east side, and that was the extent of the conversation, and then they just like talked about other things. Mm-hmm. And Max even brought that up when he came down back to us. Was like, I was like, "What did you guys talk about?" And he's like, "Oh, he just asked where we hunted and whatever else." I said, "Well, you know, you tell him we were over on that west side." He's like, "Yeah, I couldn't remember. You know, if I was like screwed up on where we were." He said, "I got turned around." I said, "Both," mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is just like, just one of those things. It's like it's the damnedest thing. Um. Anyway, so so that afternoon. We went back out and checked out that spot and um, we're like, that island with the wind situation is going to be the spot to be. We need to be out on that island. And so the next morning, that's what we did. And we had like this just, there's like a nice little nook in this rock to put a boat in and like, you know, nice little flat spot to put a blind on. And you're just like, oh, this is, this is perfect, you know. It was really nice. Like, even as someone who doesn't know anything about duck hunting, like everything about that setup just felt perfect. And right when the sun came up, like ducks just started flying in everywhere. It was, it was action. It was amazing. And um, it was just like turned up a hundred times from the day before. And I kind of felt a lot more confident now because I already had the first monkey off my back and I just started shooting and birds were just dropping and it was just the most amazing day ever. I just like when Sean told me to do something, I did it and it worked and it, um, and Kimmy was crushing it. Like I'm like truth is she's just smoking birds. Meanwhile, her toes are toenails. Are falling <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, she shoots like this this Drake pintail, that eight inch sprig, you know, oh, really? big oh. beautiful winter pintail, and it's just like something dreams were made of. How the hunt worked out, and you're getting singles and pairs. And I don't even know what a what a stud or what a trophy is. All I know is that I just see Sean like shaking and being like, "Oh my god!" Like, yeah, I'm like, this is amazing. Really stoked on how you couldn't have wrote it up any better. How for it me, going. it was cool to see a variety of birds, too. You know, the, the day before, it was three teals that we shot. And on this day, we're talking, like, pintails. We saw hen mallard. We saw widgeons. I shot, you know, drake widgeon mm-hmm. teals and Teal. all kinds of things. Gadwall, I think. Yep. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it was it was the best education and the most glorious feeling of victory. Yep. Like, we were just on. Yep. And, uh, like, that, that hunt was... Wonderful. It was just perfect. And after that hunt, we head back to camp and we're talking about, you know, how awesome this is all going. And Sean's like, this is the best episode of my whole season already. Oh, yeah. It's in the yeah. bag. Let's go do a plucking scene. Yep. You know? <laughs> like, yep. we're, we're, we're good. 
And um, so that's what we went to do. We went to do a plucking scene. Yeah, that afternoon we went and we were going to go just, you know, pluck our birds and and honestly get some time lapses of sunset, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, we drove because I, my truck was just stuffed full of, you know, everything and hooked up to the boat. And we're like, yeah, we'll just jump in the, the rental, which is two-wheel drive. And... <laughs> Not to throw him under the bus, but Max is driving. And yeah. <laughs> we go down to the we go down to this sandy sandbar area. And for whatever reason, he just pulls off like the packed, you know, two track and sinks that sucker right up to the frame in real deep sand. And we tried digging it out for an hour? We tried a lot of stuff. We tried going around and gathering wood and shoving it under the tires. We tried rocks. We tried I'm using digging. chunks of lava rock to try to, like, dig the frame mm-hmm. out. I was know. texting Cal, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> and eventually we get to the point of Max goes to walk up to, like, the closest house. Which because is he felt cool. so bad because yeah. he knew that, yeah. His driving did that. So so we're trying to call a tow truck by now, but I think Max just like was not gonna accept that like financial <laughs> yeah. defeat. And so he's like, No, I'm gonna set off on foot and go knock door to door and I'm gonna find us, you know, yeah. some help. Yep. And and Max gets to this house where he finds a guy that's I don't even know how to describe it. Well, Max was like on speakerphone and like knocking door to door. And then he starts getting distracted and be like, wow, this one house has all this waterfall and gear in it. And and no one's home. But man, this gear, Sean's like, keep keep knocking, <laughs> keep walking. Home, like he's casing the place out for no, a theft? No, it's, like, I mean, it's like laying in the he yard. Was you know? Max is like, we're going to be best friends. Yes. No, yeah. that is what he was doing. That is exactly how Max is thinking about that. Yeah. You know, he's thinking of it like, Hey, another duck hunter. We should all be buddies. But yeah. then, then he gets to this one house, and this guy opens the door and says, "Are you the FBI or CIA?" And Max is like, "Neither." He's like, "Then come on in and have a beer, man." And um, and apparently CIA. the guy's the guy's wife is playing the drums, and you can hear the drums in the background. And Max is trying to give his pitch of like. You know, we just got stuck in the sand down there. Do you think you can help us out? And he's like, "I'm retired. That's what I live for." Hold on. Let me find some more gummies and find my keys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and so, and Max is on speakers. This is all happening. But I've been calling tow truck. And now we end up in this situation where the, this guy is coming with his truck <laughs> and the tow truck's already on the way. I'm like, Max, if the guy is, you know, having gummies, like, probably don't need him to come pull us out, you know? And... uh He's like, I don't know. He he really like he said I'm really coming down. Do he really this. wants to help. Oh, quick note. Uh, we should run a gummy through there through the Brazzler. It's gonna turn into a full time job here. But apparently, while the guy was looking for his keys, this um this big black mysterious truck that we've been seeing around for days, like With duck boat. Yeah, like that. They were having. I I don't know anything about tires and duck trucks but all i know is these guys were like frothing over some truck envy every time we saw this truck somewhere and even when we first got stuck max was like well what if we found the guy with the black truck you know (laughs) and and that black truck pulled up to that house while the guy was looking for his keys did not live there but just wanted to introduce himself and say hey i'm gonna be your neighbor for a while and that what yeah yeah Yeah. no this was a weird trip and and Max was like, oh, my God, it's the guy in the black truck. <laughs> and so he went up to him and Mom, told him. Wait, one sec. 
Max is talking to the He's gummy waiting. bongo, the gummy bongo couple. Lady still playing and the drums. Up pulls the black truck guy. Yeah. Yes. To introduce, introduce himself, himself to, the to the gummy bongo people. Yes. Exactly. While Max is there. Yes. So Max. And while they're going to get the truck that they wish they looking, had access. That looking they, for the keys for his truck. Yeah. Then, and then the cool truck pulled up and um, Max was just like, you know, hey, like gave him the same pitch. And then so he showed up. And he brings a friend. Yeah. Which, so yeah, the black truck what is was the pitch. Are you like, is this like help us? I mean, Max is the most quo? friendly. He's, yeah. You know, I just witnessed just Max, Max giving free beers to but elderly he's women. He's not so. trying to do a transaction. He's just trying to get help. Yeah. No, he's yeah. just asking okay. for I don't know help. if he had a compensation package <laughs> put together. No. Okay. In return for helping us. <laughs> and so uh, the, the like older gentleman in this, in this big black truck uh, has a friend with him. And he he's the guy that lives in the house with all the duck hunting stuff. Mm-hmm. And anyway, they agree. They come down to help. So now we've got two trucks that come down, one with the gummy guy and the other, um, the black truck crew. Mysterious yeah. black truck. And we got a great big combo. Yeah. They, <laughs> so they get out to hook up and uh, like we're laying out kind of how to get this thing out safely and easily. And the guy in the, the two guys in the truck get out and the one guy comes over to introduce himself and Max is like just kind of staring at him a little bit and like looking at him like he recognizes him. Mm-hmm. And he comes over and introduces himself and uh, instantly both Max and I are like, holy shit. Like this is a guy that Max has known for years since he was 13 probably and used to work with. Hmm. And... Um, you know, he's, this guy isn't just like a run of the mill guy that you like run into every now and then as a buddy from town. This guy used to be like a really big name in waterfowl hunting and purposely took a step back and like got complete, like went radio silent. No one knows where he is anymore. Got out of the industry. Are we not saying his name? We're not saying his name. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because okay. he does not. And I don't, I don't know that country, so I don't know his name. But I will just say that was the he sort way... of forced into this. It was willful. Forced no. into taking, getting out of the industry. Yeah. No, he he willful. did. Yeah, it was willful. Yeah, yeah he wanted to just yeah, disappear, I guess. But but Sean but and Max were just like, you don't understand who this is. Like this guy is a legend. You know, mm-hmm. like he was the man. And the fact that he's the one here with the black truck that we've been seeing around, like. And he's here to save us. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of just one of those just weird serendipity moments. You're like, this doesn't make sense how this is all shaken out. So anyway, he gets us pulled out. And uh, we're going to leave. And he pulls into his place. Um, and I, I stop by there quick. And I'm like, I got to go, you know, say thanks one more time. He absolutely saved our can. And uh, walk over, we start chatting. He goes, so where'd you guys hunt today? I said, oh, we hunted over on the, we hunted over on that island. And he goes, uh, you know you can't hunt there, right? <laughs> and my heart sank. I can imagine. I'm like, what do you mean you can't hunt there? There's no signs, there's no... There's nothing on, you know, Onyx. There's no signs at the boat ramp. Nothing. He's like, yeah, there isn't. 
Like you're not going to see signs or anything, but you, you can't hunt there. According to? According to the, the state park that manages this, this lake. And I'm just like, I'm begging him for any kind of information, right? I'm like, you got a map or anything? He's like, no. I'm like, well, it's not on their website, you know? He's like, no, it's not. Like, but you can't hunt there. And so then I'm like, you know, shit, Max, (laughs) (laughs) come on out here. Like, help me out here. What time is it? Oh, what is it? 10 o'clock at night? 9 o'clock? It's probably 9 o'clock at night. I stayed in the truck when they jumped out to say thanks. It was just cold. And I'm like, man, they really love this guy. Like, they just. (laughs) They're really saying thanks. We should really get home. Like, this is a long thank you, you know? Mm -hmm. But then they got back in the truck and the energy was just very, very different. We went from on a high to this episode's in the bag. This is the best thing ever. Like, to just like. Holy gut, shit. Gut rot. We just did everything yeah. wrong. And when you told me that, like, oh, man, like, I can't even. To process that feeling of having a day that just felt so special. You know, I mean, that's what it was, is that we we're all just, like, enjoying it and celebrating it. And just um, every single bird that we shot, it just, like, was something that just felt like the most sentimental victorious moment ever and then to experience it together was so great and I was just like living off of this fresh fresh buzz and and then to be told that what we did was illegal was the most depressing tainting feeling and just I just I just want I did I didn't want that to be true. Like my oh. brain just didn't want that to be true. I just wanted to find a way where that wasn't true um, because I just, that was a reality I wasn't quite ready to accept. Mm-hmm. And we had no, the other real hard part about it was that I'm pouring over stuff on my computer, just trying to find like any way to confirm this. Mm-hmm. And you know, the state park is closed and there's no phone number for them and there's no way to figure out how to get a hold of them. And eventually, Honestly, looking through some, um, like, emergency information I found on a forum somewhere, you know, recognize that, like, who you're supposed to call to get a hold of the state park is you're supposed to call the county dispatch. Like, you're calling 911 pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, no, we can't do that till the next morning, pretty much, because they're not accessible they're not available the like the the rangers aren't yeah um i had i had texted cal earlier just when our car was stuck and i sent him a picture and so right when i was calling into bed he texted me back put the floor mats under the tires for traction and i just wrote back i'm like um we're not stuck but we have bigger problems than that and i actually told you know cal what had happened and he said to me like Remember your exact text, I think, was honesty is the best policy um, and you need to, like, you know, call call and turn yourself in. and, and Self-report. Man, yeah. like, I just felt like a freaking fugitive, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just couldn't even believe that I was reading those words. And so to go to sleep, like, on those words, like, knowing, like, oh, we're going to have to, like, 
and not and not having a like because at that moment like all you want is that like release of getting it off your chest yeah, yeah. right and it's like it's you know 11 o'clock at night there's literally nothing we can do right now and it was just awful it was awful and so we went into the next morning with kind of two things hanging over our head one that we now know all the footage we've shot so far can't be used. And even if it could be used, it would be wrong of us to use it. Mm-hmm. And because we were hunting somewhere we couldn't be. And I should I should add a clarification on that. The spot that we were hunting is just not open to hunting. It's not a refuge or anything like that. Um we didn't know what the ramifications were at the time, right? Like, we have no clue what's going to happen ultimately when we do get a hold of the rangers and talk to them about it. Like, if you're going to get cuffed and stuffed. Or, right. That's uh, what I was thinking. Yeah. And yeah. So, but so we have that hanging over our head, but we also have this, you know, production matter hanging over our head. And so, and I do regret this as a, as a producer for sure, is, you know, the, the, in the morning, like my game plan is, okay, well, let's just start from scratch. Let's start like we never hunted the last two days because that footage will never see the light of day anyway. And start from ground zero. And I wish I hadn't done that. Because well, Sean just felt so bad because we had these, you know, these days of shooting and producing and you're spending someone's production budget. Like that's a lot of pressure when you're the producer of something and it's all on your shoulders. And then to find out we had absolutely nothing usable and not only were we just wasting time not getting a show done, but we were doing things that were illegal. Like that's a lot to hold on your shoulders. And so he instantly went into solution mode of like, how do we save this episode Kimmy, you're going to have to pretend like this is your first bird all over again. And none of that felt right no. to any of us. And so mm-hmm. now we're filming and I'm like, ooh. And we all have a shitty duck- We had to do a whole intro again. We're not actors or actresses. No. Like, it just sucked big yeah. time. And again, we it still wasn't even, um, the offices weren't open, so we hadn't even turned ourselves in yet. So you, you just feel like a big. And I'm on the phone with Steve, just like trying to find a way to extend you know, extend our shoot so we can at least have something to come from that we're there and still waiting to hear back from a game warden or a ranger. And I was just so excited to eat my ducks and now I'm like, they're not even mine. And that was probably one of the most heartbreaking things was just like, you know, how Yeah, Kimmy me. was almost I, on the I, tears about I just, that she's going to have to give up her ducks. This is like my dream, you know? And now I just had this like whole variety of pack of birds that like when, when you – get your prey there's some sort of emotional connection that happens just like this attachment like where it becomes a part of you and like all of a sudden it's just like those aren't even mine right it's you waste know? Yeah. like do i even will i even get to eat them what's going to happen to them are they going to go to waste like that was one thing that just kept going through my head like not only did you kill them in a place you weren't supposed to but now what's going to happen to these birds and so we're sitting on the east side where we know we can hunt where all these guys have been shooting the heck out of birds. And now all of a sudden the realization hits us like the reason they were shooting the heck out of birds <laughs> is because we were pushing all the birds out of the spot. Oh. Right? And so now we're sitting there 
waiting for a call back from the, from the ranger. Yeah. Oh, and now we're sitting there waiting for a call back from the ranger and it's crickets. We don't like we don't have a duck anywhere we near. We didn't us. see one single duck huh. all day. Just... You really got to just sit in that blind alone with your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was miserable. And they're, they're called forts, Kimmy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we and we finally do get it a call. It was a sad fort that day. We finally do get a call from the from the ranger. And when I I mean we're talking an anvil off my shoulders because he's like, man, that happens all the time out here. We actually even changed some of the the layout of where it can be hunted this year because of the drought. Um, like, no, you can't hunt there. I'm glad you called and told us that you hunted there. Like, thank you for reporting. But nobody else called you in, which, you know, looking back on it. Yeah, you all, don't wonder why. Yeah, they're all like <laughs> yeah. happy we were over there. <laughs> they're like, I'll, I'll, go do it again. It's gonna be, yeah, he's like, it's going to be their <laughs> ass, but I'll take idiots, it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those moments of. Did he right then and there say. Well, first you called. That's it. First, you had to call a dispatch, and he just wanted to talk to a ranger. But in order to even talk to a ranger, you had to tell dispatch everything that we did, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah. you know." And, and then they have to call you. They, they won't to. give you the number yeah. for the ranger. And then Ugh, they call yeah. the ranger, and but, then the ranger called back, and 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 he's like, you know, when we do ticket for it, you know, it's eighty six dollar like state park violation. Hmm. Which is like, oh, thank goodness. You know? But no ticket. No ticket. What do you tell you to do with your ducks? Just keep them. Just keep them. Yeah. You know, it really was a state. Thanks, Sean, for his honesty. Yeah. And it's a it's a rule of that place, but it's not like it's a, no, it's not like you're on a federal refuge yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. And uh, so at that moment, kind of, we have like at least the comfort of knowing like that's kind of in the wind, but we've had this awful hunt this morning. We're like, okay, we got to get the hell out of here. Like, we got to get somewhere else that isn't a cloud <laughs> hanging over yeah. us. And so we left. Like Kimmy said, man, truth or consequences. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Dude. Truth yeah. and consequences. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But, and so we, we had told our Damn. truth and we thought we had, you know, that was our consequence. But little did we know the suffering was yet to come and the <laughs> desert itself was going to give us our real consequences. Yeah. Like, that was only... Our drama was just getting started. I feel like I'm reading a Larry McMurtry yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which, I don't remember where this lands in the Lonesome Dove series, but... Yeah, man. So... I know that, dude. Yeah, I know that sinking feeling. Um, ugh. It's the worst. Yeah. But, so it's but, like, you know what it is, man? There's like a moral component. Yeah. Exactly. That makes it, like, if someone... if If you drive let's say you're in a 70 mile an hour zone and you go by at 85 and a and a police car pulls out with the lights on you are like ah damn it but it's not like a morally sickening feeling right, right? it's like you just wish you weren't going fast right but it's not like a judgment has been made on your soul you know? Yeah, exactly. you're like ashamed of yourself. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. When, when Cal just wrote that to me, like honesty is the best policy, and turn yourself in, and I just felt like a little kid, like being sent to the principal's office, like 
not wanting to go. I was just like, I wish you didn't tell me that, you know? Like, I wish you just said, oh, that's okay. Give me or something. I don't know. <laughs> You're from out of town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, but I will say that when Sean made that call, like, before we even knew what the consequences would or would not be, because we had to wait for a call back. But when he made that call, regardless of whether we're all going to go be behind bars, we all felt a hundred times better better. just from making it. And that was neat to me because I was dreading that moment. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely like, now we're going to say it out loud. And this sickening feeling of shame that I'm feeling is going to be all the more real. It was the opposite. When you made that call, I just felt every part of us lighten just to know that, okay, no matter what, we're not holding this thing Mm -hmm. in. We're not holding it in the dark, which is like the intuitive thing, I think, to, you know, as a human to feel when you screw up is to feel like hiding. And Mm -hmm. um, and honesty is the best policy. And the minute that you made that call, even though I didn't know what's going to happen, we all felt a lot better. Yeah. And we... You know, in the moment, we thought, like, after having talked to him, we kind of thought the consequences, at least legally, like, weren't there. We still saw it as, like, consequences from a production standpoint of how the hell are we going to get an episode. Like, but now it's like, it feels like the consequences aren't so dire now after talking to him. And then it's like, hold on, the desert does have some consequences for you yeah. like you guys aren't getting away no that easy we thought yeah chester i'd throw that damn story in that bratzler you want to talk about a tender story <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. no it was a tough story that was t- yeah, yeah. I, know, I can't tell if it's tough or tender it's both and so the next morning core, take a core out of that story next morning we kill some ducks at a new place yeah so the next morning we go to a new place and it wasn't as Now slow. that you're a seasoned duck hunter. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, By this point, she's calling them blinds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They'll always be forts to me. But they, we go to this other spot, and, you know, there was some action, um, which was way better than not seeing a single duck the day before. But I will say, I could not shoot to save my life. And I think it's because I, I had so much hesitation now over pulling that mm. trigger because... I had gotten into my groove like in a couple days before and I had had this like amazing experience and whatever. And then that whole thing just got like, no, actually you didn't. You were just messing up and you really screwed up and you did something bad. And so it's crazy the next day trying to pull trigger. Like I was hesitating like crazy and I was screwing up everything um and and sean wasn't shooting good either like we both were just sucking i got one one bird if this hadn't been if you guys weren't filming this this feels like this would have been the time when you just go look we just got to call it like this is man like we like it's best that we just shut this thing down and walk away and i've said it a ton of times since then um just talking about this hunt and talking about kimmy is that hunt and this whole experience put me through the ringer. And I've been through some tough waterfowl hunts and some stuff where it's like, mm, this makes you not want to <laughs> do it quite so bad. Yeah. And then to put a camera crew through it and to put a brand new duck hunter through it. And Kimmy kept sticking it out. And, you know, that morning we had shot some ducks. And then that 
that afternoon. We go scout, and we're still kind of playing with like how many days left do we even have to produce something here? And we're like, okay, the next day. So what would now be our second day at this new spot? We're like, we have to hunt all day because we gotta like we gotta get something going on here. And that's like a after how many days we've been there at this point? We've been there for six days at that point. My toes are really, really sore. That's a hard proposition. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a hard like it's hard on everybody when you're like, okay, 3 a.m. wake up call tomorrow and we're hunting till dark. Mm -hmm. And but that's what we did. And we didn't shoot (laughs) a damn duck. No, we didn't see a single duck, though. And we're in the same lake, different side. We're on the west side now instead of the east on this new body of water. And, uh, yeah, so you can hunt the west side of this new body of water. And we're on the west side hunting, and we don't see a thing, don't have even a prayer. And we sit all day, and some, like, fishermen come screw us up a little bit. And, like, some guys are setting fishing 100 yards from our decoy set. And... We're just like, oh, they're I like, can't they're like I don't know what they're doing here. There's no duck. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Catch a break. And, and at this point, we do know that we only have one day left of hunting. We've so got one morning left. That was a really junk day because we only had one morning left, and we just spent a whole day and all of our energy for nothing. Yeah, you just gassed. Zero. Yeah. yeah. So we pack up that day after a long, hard day of seeing nothing. And uh, we're on our first trip across headed back to the boat ramp and that fuel tank runs out, which is like nothing abnormal. You know, you have two fuel tanks and go to switch tanks and the boat engine won't, won't start. start. Like for whatever reason. I kept like, saying the, it's flooded. It has to be flooded. If somebody squeezed the ball too much, you know, like it has to be because it was right when we switched the gas tank that would just have to be a fuel thing. And there must have been something like Some that was acting as a slow drain on that battery or whatever the heck it was. Like that sucker wouldn't start, and the yeah. wind switches <laughs> and pushes us all the way across the lake to the opposite end of where from where the boat ramp is. It, it's dark, like it's, it, it's blackout. Where it's now black, we realize it's not a fuel problem. It's a dead battery. We don't have a spare battery. We're adrift on a cold lake, and it's dark. And, and we're nine miles from a boat ramp. Yeah. And no pull start on that thing. No, no. Yeah. And uh, so we so, land on the shore and, and we get a hold, get a hold of the park ranger because we now know to call county dispatch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're like, like, hey, hey, uh, it's us again. Yeah, it's us again. <laughs> Your favorite people. And, uh, <laughs> they get a park ranger dispatch to come get us. And he calls me and he's like, hey, I'm going to go grab my boat quick. I'll be right there, you know, give me a half hour. And he comes running across the lake, and for whatever reason, it must have been, like, looking at a compass or who knows. Like, I don't know what he was looking at. We don't know anything. We just saw a red light zooming across from the boat ramp going the wrong way, and then it looked like it was on land, so we're like, maybe that was a car. And he calls me after, I don't know, 15 minutes, and he's like, hey, I ran aground and I'm stuck, stuck. Oh my He's like, God. and I'm like, well, if, you know, 
if four of us walk over there and push the boat, like, can we get it unstuck? He's like, no, it's on, <laughs> it's on the shore. He's like, we're not even going to worry about my boat tonight, but now so I then, need to be rescued, so and then, then he you'll calls, be rescued. He calls another park ranger from, from <laughs> turns out, the place where we had already talked to the park rangers. <laughs> By the time we get back to our new Airbnb, like, it's about, I think it's like at least one thirty in the morning, mm-hmm. and we have to wake up in an hour and a half in yeah, order to get, get back out there again. <laughs> And like this is after a day of just being like beat down. Like and, and I just remember telling myself, like, okay, I'm gonna set my alarm. But if that alarm buzzes and my body says, hell no, I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna call it because it feels like everything in its power is trying to just like not make me a duck hunter. And I'm not gonna like do something stupid with a gun tomorrow because I'm too tired. And I, you know, just was thinking all these things. And instead, I woke up like half an hour early, came out to the living room. Sean's there, all dressed up, waiting. The boys jump in, and it's like we all just like went out for this next day. And I remember that whole drive, we kept saying, like, I know we're gonna hit a wall. Like we're so tired, but we don't feel it. We're just jacked up off of absolute catastrophe at this yeah, point. You know, you get really like a, a high in energy from it. And we're just like, we're gonna hit a wall sometime, but it's not now. Let's just keep going. And we got to the spot that day and for the first time in our whole whatever it was, nine days there, the weather forecast was right. The wind mm-hmm. was in the right direction. Like everything just started feeling good. The decoys looked great. And before the sun was even up, there were ducks landing in them. And everything, like the momentum just started getting better and better. And we never hit a wall. We just like, we started doing things with this flow and this sense of purpose because we had been through the ringer. We survived it together. Not one single person complained. This was our last day, and we just knew, like, it is go time. It was an, it was do it now or don't do it all. There was something really surreal about showing back up to that lake when we had just been there a few hours before, you know, adrift with the moon up. and But it was neat. It was like, felt like we finally earned our place there is what it felt like to me. It's like, okay, I know this place. I was just curled up trying to sleep in these blind covers here, you know, and um, let's do this. And the birds came in and... And it and was they a great came. day. Yeah. Like they They didn't stop coming. The widgeon were just there. And mm-hmm. I mean, we'd been seeing them there, right? We knew they were there, but just getting on them was the trick. And we, you know, kind of got into one of those like spot on a spot moments of where like this is where you on got to X. be. And we were on it. And we went from thinking we would never get an episode out of this and that I'd lost any capability as a, <laughs> as a producer to like, uh, we put like, we put our nose down and got it done. And Kimmy shot great. I shot great. Like widgeon perfectly fluttering in the sun over the decoys. After we shot our limits, they just still were coming. Like, it was just, it was a good day all over again, <clears throat> but um, but one that it really felt like we had to cut, we came to terms with it, we earned it, you know? Yeah. Like, it unlike, wasn't. Unlike the island feeling too good to be true, like, now it was like, boy, we worked for this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got some yeah. introspection, some misery, got humbled. Exactly. And, and we got yeah. a duck hunting story that 
I don't want to experience again, but I will never forget. I mean, you couldn't. Yeah, you got everybody's like bad thing of the season in one night. Yeah. Yeah, this is like more than a duck hunting story, man. This is like a a fable that we're going to have to tell so that people learn life lessons. You need to go down to the town council. Like, listen, (laughs) I think we should keep truth or consequence. (laughs) Right. We just need to change why. Yeah. Yeah. We got to update the why. You guys got any free plaques we can carve something on? Exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you came out of it. Yeah. Good Lord. No, it was the best experience. No cuff marks. (laughs) No cuff marks, but it. it, When did uh, when did the adrenaline wear off and you guys definitely all hit a wall? Because you know that. You know what? For me, it didn't. Like I finally got my duck hunting dream back. Like after struggling and suffering, and there's something about suffering that will make you appreciate that dream so much more. And and we were done duck hunting, and then and then Sean and I were just like. Now let's drive to Hatch and go get some green chilies. Like we were just, we we were on a high. All right. Yeah. You know, Sean, I spent a night in jail. Did you? Mm-hmm. Do tell. I haven't gone there I'll tell yet. you a part of it. I'll tell you the whole story Sunday. I'll tell you a part of it. I had, uh, we had bought a bottle of Mad Dog 2020. All great stories. <laughs> my buddy Fit, I don't remember this. My buddy Fit says that I was drinking that Mad Dog 2020 and said, I'll be out of control in about 45 minutes. <laughs> he said, that's about when... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god he says about 45 minutes later you drove off in a police car <laughs> <laughs> we're youngsters yeah. alright everybody <laughs> ended on a cautionary tale know where you're hunting you know, Sean you got a duck report coming up about influenza Yep, tease it titillate it uh, we are seeing an unprecedented outbreak in avian influenza that's never been seen in North America, nothing even close. Um, and it's actually poured over from poultry back into wild birds. And stay, it's something to be worried about. Stay tuned for that shit, ladies and gentlemen. We got to get them on soon to tell that, Corinne. Make a note in your notebook about that. All right, guys. Sean Weaver, Kevin Gillespie, Kimmy Werner. We're going to kick your asses in trivia. Thanks, everyone. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need, and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. 
You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.